for joining us today as we get at the beginning of your week. We're here to motivate you to get your thinking, to get you off of that weekend. Definitely we enjoy the weekends and we hate to see them go, but now that we're into the week, it's 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you want to um, just kind of get the blah out of Monday, so you don't want to miss today's show. We have a independent, we have an independent filmmaker that's going to join the conversation just in time for Black History Month, as well as empowerment, um, uh, shedding a great light on men, African American men, and it's an all-around great film, as well as uh, learning a young lady's journey as she's, you know, going through life and, you know, just trying to answer some questions on her own. And I think this would help a lot of us in a whole in a lot of different ways. But specifically, this young girl is going by the name of Piglet in the movie, and she is struggling with HIV and a tough life, and she's living in the South. Sean Spillman is going to join us. He's the filmmaker uh, for this project, so you don't want to miss that interview. Of course, we're going to talk uh, politics with Valerie Sun last week. We kind of got um, mixed up with our time, so he's going to catch up um, last week and this week's news and politics, so don't you go anywhere. He'll be here to share that, and for those of you who missed it, Coach Tony is moved over to our Tuesdays, so he's going to be on the two-year journey slot for This Needs to Be Said, and more details are coming for TV. We will be sharing with you an Indiegogo campaign that you can participate in, and you'll get to see a lot of the great perks. Some of those perks would be meeting the commentators backstage or having an after party or a special time to meet with some of the team members, myself included. So you don't want to miss that. Thank you, everyone, who's tuned in to give us five minutes of your time. Thank you for giving us five. Now tell a friend to tell a friend to give us five as well. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back, and we're going to get right into our show. Oh, and let me not forget, we're going to have our dose of daily weird news. Daily dose of weird news with Darren Model. We'll be right back. Do you support family-owned small businesses? How about one that gives 10% of its earnings to fight homelessness? Then buy from a well-run Life's Kids Boutique located at 
awellrunlife.storeny.com. Cute clothes at value prices. You can also track their new products at facebook.com forward slash children's value boutique. Looking for a simple way to naturally boost your energy? Breakthrough Superfood Powder, formulated by Dr. Don Colbert, provides healthy energy while being an excellent source of organic fruits, vegetables, and antioxidants. Living Green Supreme Food sells for $44.99, but when you call today, Dr. Colbert is offering it for as low as $29.99. That's a $15 savings. To get this special offer, just call 1-800-433-4484 now and mention the code RADIO, 1-800-433-4484. If you missed the J. Ryle Show, shame on you. Here's what you missed. I was, I was, I was. <laughs> oh, Cheryl, baby. Oh, Cheryl, girl, you know. This makes me feel, this makes me feel something, baby. Yes, baby. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. Baby, baby. Oh, Cheryl, baby. I got a, I got a spoken word for Cheryl. Cheryl, can I be your ex? That's the name of it, girl. Cheryl, baby, can I be your ex? Which means I could be your next lover, baby. I want you to touch me, baby. Come on, baby. Will you be my girlfriend? Say yes. And then break up with me real quick so say no. And then, baby, so we mean you can do the wild thing, baby. Yeah. Girl, girl, I love you, baby. You my girl. But I got to break up with you because you know you rock my world, baby. I want to touch you. I want to feel you, baby. Come and get me. Come and caress me. I am yours, girl. Yeah. Why are you playing, Jay? Oh, yeah, Cheryl. Take that with you, Cheryl, and be blessed, my love. Be blessed. Be blessed. <laughs> <laughs> See what you've been missing? The Jay Rouse Show, Wednesday night, 7.30 p.m. Central Standard Time, and on Saturday, 5 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time, right here on BTR Radio. This is your girl, Kawana Jackson, and I'm rocking with Katherine Waddell on This Needs to Be Said.
Hello, this is Jerry Adams, Mr. Brown Eyed Country Soul himself, and I rock with this needs to be said. Help me, please. Get my girl on the phone. I got some news that I must tell her. But she's out of my zone. Listen. Operator, check the number, please. Cause I know it's not wrong. I must have dialed it a thousand times. So won't you check the line? Get my girl on the phone 
Thank you so much for joining us today for This Needs to Be Said. We're getting ready for Miss Lois Powers with her current event, Poetry. Hey, Miss Powers, how are you? Fine. Thank you, Catherine. How are you? I am wonderful. What you got for us this week? Okay, I got three poems for you this week. The first poem is called Fundamental Rights. It's your fundamental right to express your fundamental views. Fundamental rights is not always the best thing for you to do. It's your fundamental right. It includes disrespecting others and their religious belief. Sometimes it's better to keep your fundamental thoughts between just yourself and you. Flogging is an inhuman practice inflicted as punishment to those who dare express their beliefs and views. Think, think, think things through when there's consequences to pay for things perceived by you. Are you a martyr? Are you a scapegoat or just or just a plain fool? Pray to God he will give you the wisdom to know when to back off before you are given a punishment that's worse than death. Today, today is not a good time to bite off more more than you can chew. It will come back to bite you. One thousand flogins with a stick was a merciless punishment to be administered to you. You exercised free speech. That was not a wise thing for you. Some countries, this thing called freedom is not a right or a privilege that can be enjoyed by you. In America, you can get shot to death by the police or go to a foreign country and get 1,000 flogins. It's your fundamental right. Instant death or a broken, badly beaten sore back. Your fundamental rights. The next poem is a Dr. King poem. If you were alive today, what message would you bring to the people? What would you say to the flock? Would you try to bring the home life back and have children once again sit on old folks' lap? Would you get involved with the war and bring our soldiers back? Would you summon all the gangs together and let them know it doesn't matter about whose turf they're on, that they can work together to do more good than harm? Would you talk to unmarried young women? Tell them abortion and pregnancy is not the way of life. Would you let young girls know too many children fathered by many cannot bring happiness? Dr. King, if you were alive today, what would you say? So many homeless folks, no place to lay their heads, no shelters to shield them from the storms, no decent place to call home, no blankets to keep their bodies warm. Food not always available when the stomach is growling. The body lacks nourishment, calling, calling, screaming for food, food to eat. Dr. King, when, when is freedom going to ring? When, when, when are we going to be able to sing? Obstacles loom larger than everyday life. Knees are getting worn, but we're still down on our knees to pray. Dr. King, Dr. King, if you were only alive today, doors wouldn't keep slamming in our faces. The respect we deserve would make itself known. We thank you for what you've accomplished here on this universe. We're waiting for folks to band together once again, walk hand in hand. One day we'll be able to sing, Walk Together, Children. We're free, free at last. Everyone will be on one accord. Let freedom ring. The last poem I'm going to read is called Decapitated. 
Over in the Middle East, a Japanese young man was decapitated this past week. You, you decapitated the body, but you couldn't. You couldn't decapitate the soul. Aren't you proud of your hideous crime because you succeeded in reaching your goal? At night when you try to go to sleep, there's no rest, no resting for your diabolical soul. You took orders from man. Now, now you have to answer, yes, answer to the creator who created that soul. You will have to answer for your transgression. You, you will have to account for this horrendous deed. Vengeance is mine, said the Lord. Vengeance is mine. One day, one day, you, yes, you will definitely reap. You're going to reap what you sow, says Job 4.8. Are you going to cry for mercy and forgiveness? Are you going to show remorse for the blood on your hands? You're going to regret the day, the day that you decapitated that innocent man's body. But Satan, Satan, you couldn't decapitate that man's soul. My poems are $5. They come laminated, and you can get them by sending to post office box 558, Glen Olin, Pennsylvania, 19036. Again, that's post office box 558, Glen Olin, Pennsylvania, 19036. And I also can send out a list of all my different books. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ms. Powers, and we'll talk with you again on next week. Thank you, Catherine. Have a good day. You're welcome. All right, we're getting ready to talk with attorney Christian Felden, who's a bankruptcy attorney. We're going to talk about the topic of bankruptcy secrets they don't want you to know that will put bankruptcy protection laws to work for you. So at this time, I'd like to welcome Mr. Felden to the show, Attorney Felden to the show. How are you? Good, Catherine. How are you today? I am wonderful. Now, I've heard a lot of theories about bankruptcy, so I'm happy to have you on today to dispel this. And with over 30 years of experience, I'm sure you've seen a lot of different things. And I see that yeah, you are also sure. an author. Oh, I can imagine. Now, I do want you to share with me, and that's not on my topic, my question list, but I do want you to share with me like the strangest thing that has happened <laughs> over 30 years uh, oh, in, boy. in your practice. <laughs> strangest things? Um, the strangest. Probably the, the, probably the strangest things have to do with disclosure because when you when you file bankruptcy, you, the, the name of the game is disclosure. And so you're supposed to disclose all of your assets and all of your debts and you can get in a lot of trouble. Uh, and I remember one time I had a client who actually uh, – uh, supposedly forgot that he owned an airplane, so I thought I think that was a whole probably the, the, yeah a whole airplane. <laughs> so <laughs> so I thought that was probably the strangest thing I, I've seen. But uh, I probably if I thought about it a little bit more, I could probably think of some other. But that that one sticks out of my mind because that's uh, that's a pretty big thing to forget about. Yeah, that's not a pair of shoes for sure. Well, you have over that's thirty right. years experience, and you're also an author of Do You Need to Make a Financial U-Turn. Um, so you're here to help us to discover the truth about um, bankruptcy law. So introduce yourself. I, I read a couple of bullet points, but talk to us a little bit about why you got into it and has it been all you wanted it to be as an attorney? Um, and, and what have you learned? What has been your most valuable lesson? So share some of that with us before we get into the interview. 
Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I have been doing this. Uh, it's my 32nd year doing this stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. bankruptcy is, uh, to me, it's a very rewarding type of a practice because uh, as an attorney, uh, you know, there's lots of things, different things you can do as an attorney. And, and uh, you can do uh, deal with big companies or you can deal with uh, just uh, individuals. But one of the things I really like about bankruptcy work is we're dealing with real people and helping out real people with real problems. And uh, as somebody once uh, once described it to me as blue collar law, which I think is a really uh, a really good way to to describe it, because we're we're very often taking people if it's not the lowest point in their life, it's certainly one of the lowest points in their lives, and we're giving them their lives back, and that's actually very rewarding, and our clients really appreciate it. That's uh, to me, that's the best part about this. I uh, I, okay. I don't even feel like I'm working. It's uh, it's, uh, it's oh, not work. Well, it's that's, just, that's it's, the right it's, place it's to be. It's actually fun. Yeah, it's fun to help people mm-hmm. like that. Mhm. Now, what made you go to school for that? Tell me what was the journey. Did you always want to be an attorney? You went to school for this, or did you change midstream? Well, you know, I wanted to be. My father was a policeman, so I grew up around policemen and, and, and law enforcement and lawyers all the time. So, I was, mm-hmm. certainly was thinking about being a lawyer uh, when I, as I was growing up. But then it wasn't until I was near the end of my, my college fight thought about actually doing it. Uh, how I actually got into bankruptcy is kind of a little bit by accident because, you know, when you go to law school, you don't see too many TVs about bankruptcy attorneys. You know, you see them about criminal attorneys and all sorts of divorce attorneys and everything else, but there's so many different aspects of law that you're not really uh, given information about as you're growing up, but uh, you never know what you're going to find interesting. And I found as I was going to law school, I always thought I'd be a criminal attorney or, or something similar, and then I, there was more of the commercial aspects of it and bankruptcy in particular that interested me. So I've done a lot of mm-hmm. different types of work over the years, but always did a lot of bankruptcy work, and for the last 10 or 15 years, been doing nothing but bankruptcy work now. Okay, okay. Well, nice. Yeah, um, I, was, I talk with different um, professions all the time, like doctors and everything, and they say, well, I know I want to be a doctor, but then they didn't know what area they wanted to go into um, until they got into school. And then also, you know, do you feel like you got real-life experience in school or you had to wait until you got out of school to get it? Because I've heard different stories about that too. Well, yeah, I I think you probably, in terms of law school in general, I think you probably learn about 50% of what you need to actually practice law in law school and the rest of it is kind of on-the-job training. But one thing, one thing that law school does do that it, it trains you how to think like an attorney, uh, how to analyze different difficult situations and, and break them down into the simple issues. So the the basic training that you get in law school is very helpful. And then you take that basic training and uh, you apply it in whatever area of law you want to go to. They don't bankruptcy is not one of those areas of law that is requ- a required class in in uh, law school. It's something that's uh, an elective type class, and, and it's a uh-huh. very specialized practice of law. So there's not a, there's not a lot of people who do bankruptcy work. Okay, okay. Well, you so enjoy what it's you one do. Of those, and... uh, it's one of those areas of law where you know sometimes sometimes, and I apologize for interrupting, but you know when it comes to uh, okay. legal work, there, there's some there's some work that can be very complex and very specialized. And it's one of those areas of law where a little bit of knowledge is a, a dangerous thing. So it's one of those areas you can't dabble in bankruptcy law. You either have to jump all, you know, jump in all the way, or you just stay out okay. of it. You know, like sort okay. of like tax work for me. I don't like to do tax work and it's complicated and I wouldn't even think about doing a tax issue because it's one of those things again, where you need to really know your stuff or you just stay out of it. 
Yeah, we, we do have some situations where people can get hemmed up. And, and it is during tax season that, you know, someone's been given a little bit of knowledge to go and do a basic tax return. They run into something that's a little more complicated, and they can yep. mess up the person they're preparing for. So, yep, wow, exactly. okay, well, how about this? <laughs> We're going to get into the interview because I can sit and ask you questions about um, what you do. Uh, actually, I want to know, have you run into – um, someone who has done it themselves, because we talk about a little bit of knowledge can be dangerous. Have you run into someone who has tried to do the bankruptcy process on their own, and then they came to you and they they were a mess? Yeah, I've I've, I've run into several people like that over the years, and you, you do have to be careful. Um, it's just like any other legal proceeding. I mean, it's, from a technical standpoint, nobody ever needs to get an attorney to do anything in court. You're not required to get an attorney ever for anything. Mm-hmm. But uh, unless you know what you're doing, you can do more harm than good. You know, it's uh, just like anything else. Uh, I mean, I could probably do surgery on my own foot, but I wouldn't do it because I don't know anything about surgery. So I hire a doctor to do it. It's the legal profession the same way. I mean, there's obviously mm-hmm. some things in the legal profession where you can do on your own a simple dispute and spoke in small claims court or something like that. But something as important as bankruptcy, uh, I mean, when it comes to bankruptcy, you know, usually it's something you do once in your lifetime. And if you mess it up, you can really do some damage to yourself. So it's not one of the areas of law that I would really recommend doing on your own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, most now, attorneys of- don't, know how to, don't know that much about bankruptcy, let alone private citizens. So. Mm-hmm. so with that being said, because I've heard that you have to give up everything. Like when you go into bankruptcy, it sounds like you don't have anything. You're down on your luck like you're just – done homeless without anything so how how true is that and if it is true like what's the process for a person to come back from something like that well that's actually a common misconception about bankruptcy well i mean one of the most common misconceptions about bankruptcy is that there's all sorts of prerequisites that you have to meet in order to qualify for bankruptcy and and that's actually not true uh there's there are no prerequisites to filing bankruptcy everybody at every stage of their life believe it or not qualifies for at least one type of bankruptcy. The only question, of course, is whether uh, which type of types they may qualify for, whether it would actually be beneficial for them. But there actually are no requirements. And, of course, I represent all different sorts of people in bankruptcy. There are people who are virtually homeless who have nothing. But then there are people who have, um, you know, a lot of assets. I mean, you don't have to be poor to file bankruptcy. You just don't have to, you know, you just don't have enough money to go around. And uh, that can range the uh, – People who have a lot of money, uh, they spend a lot of money, too, and they get in financial trouble just as much as somebody who doesn't have any money. So I've, I've seen all different types of people who file bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So um, let's say the scenario is I'm married. Do both people have to file bankruptcy, or can you do one or the other? Uh, it depends. What, well, the technical answer to that question is no, you do not have to do both of them. If you're just because you're married doesn't mean that you have to file a joint bankruptcy, but it does mean though that you can file a joint bankruptcy if you need to, and therefore essentially get two bankruptcies for the price of one. Now the thing is when it comes to married people, most married people think that they're automatically responsible for each other's debts. And that's not true. The fact that you're married yeah. doesn't make you responsible for somebody's debts. The question is whether you actually, signed off on the debt. And if you have two joint debtors on a particular debt, you would want them, they both would need to have to file bankruptcy because they have two joint debtors on a particular debt and only one of them files bankruptcy, then the one who didn't file is still responsible for the debt. Now, the thing is, most married couples do end up filing joint bankruptcies, 
because most of the time they do have joint debt. But that you'd be surprised. There's there's quite a few people that I file bankruptcy for who are married, and uh, they their their debts are in just one spouse's name for various reasons. Sometimes it's a second marriage, and you know a lot of the debt is carried over from the first marriage, and the the new spouse has nothing to do with this debt. You know, so uh, but but again, if married couples need to file joint bankruptcies, they can. They're the only ones who really can file joint bankruptcies right now is married couples. I've heard, and we're thinking. I'm thinking credit repair now um, with this next question. Filing bankruptcy is a way to get a clean slate, to get like just to start over from scratch, and you can you can get rid of all of your debts, and you'll be a, in a better space credit-wise. Um, how legal and how true is that? Well, I mean that that is true. I mean you do get a clean slate when you file bankruptcy. And that's the that's the one of the reasons, obviously, why you, why you file it. And, and if you think about it, if you've got a mess on your credit report, there's really only two ways of getting rid of the mess: either you pay everybody off, or you file bankruptcy. There really aren't too many other options. Of course, sometimes you can just wait out your creditors, but that takes years and years and years before things eventually drop off. And during that time period, uh, you can't really do much. Uh, the nice thing about bankruptcy it does give you the the clean slate and let you fresh start start afresh again and get back on uh, on your financial feet again, so to speak. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So you have a clean slate now. Is that like starting with bad credit, or is that starting with um, no credit? Like how? Like okay, say I found bankruptcy. I have this clean slate, and I want to go out and apply for a home, or you know, get another car, mm-hmm. or Anything that's going to require them pulling up the fact that I have a bankruptcy on my credit report. How? What am I looking? What am I? What am I up against? Is the question. Okay. Well, first of all, there's nothing in the bankruptcy laws that prevents you from going out and getting new credit pretty much right away. There's nothing in the bankruptcy laws that prevents that. Now, the question, of course, is whether or not somebody is going to give you credit. Now, when you file bankruptcy, it is allowed to remain on your credit report. For uh, for several years, but to tell you the truth, uh-huh. that's really not that's that's really not much of an issue for most of the people I file bankruptcy for, though, because for most of the people I file bankruptcy for, their credit situation is so bad that nobody's going to give them credit. And you know, oh. for most of the people I file bankruptcy for, uh, filing bankruptcy actually improves their chances of getting credit because it gets rid of the mess. And uh, if you think about it, when you when, you know when you go apply for a loan somewhere. Uh, basically, what banks what do banks look at? They look at cash flow and they look at risk. They look at cash flow from the standpoint that you want to borrow. I mean, uh, can you afford to repay the money you want to borrow from them? And uh, then how risky is it to give you the loan? And of course, when you file bankruptcy, usually everybody's cash flow is approved uh, improved by bankruptcy because you have the same amount of money cutting in as you did before you filed bankruptcy. Now you have less cash outflow. And then when it comes to risk. Uh, once you file bankruptcy and it, uh, you get your discharge in bankruptcy, you're not allowed to file bankruptcy for several more years. So after you file bankruptcy and get your discharge, you're really absolutely no risk to a lender. And there are actually very few lenders these days who will refuse to talk to you just because there's a bankruptcy on your record. It's obviously something that they consider, but they still have a tendency to look at the the big picture and, and look at all of the factors. And they take into consideration the fact that you filed bankruptcy, of course, but then they also still look at your income situation and your debt-to-equity ratio and your cash flow and things like that, the same things that a bank would normally look at before you file bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when someone is filing bankruptcy and they're looking at having a clean slate, they have more cash flow than what's going out now, as what you um, stated. 
what what would be what's your recommendation on how they can not get themselves in that situation? Because sometimes it's very basic living things they had. Maybe they had a mortgage they couldn't afford or a car that they couldn't afford because maybe they lost a job or medical issues or whatever. So they still need to do the basic things. Now, the client with the airplane, that's something different. But um, for people who they just, just basic living things, what do you recommend um, for them? Like what's their next step? Because it would be a bit of a challenge to get uh, a new place to stay if they're running a, a, a credit check or they have to pull, you know, if you have any judgments or bankruptcies against you. So what have some of your clients done in the past to just get back on their feet? Because if they go to the method, it's going to be a bit of a challenge from what I'm hearing you say. Well, you know, from from the credit standpoint, it, it's it's not unlike just getting out of high school. You know, but what did you do when you first started applying for credit? You got whatever credit you could, and you paid it back, and you slowly built up your credit. I mean, that, that's mm-hmm. the same process you would use after filing bankruptcy. I mean, bankruptcy, of course, helps you with your your debts, and it will improve your cash flow, but it's still not going to put more money into your pocket. So, if your problem is you don't have enough income, then then uh, uh, you're going to have to do something about that. But, of course, the nice thing about the bankruptcy mm-hmm. is at least uh, whatever additional money you make, you're going to be able to keep it and not worry about losing it to your old creditor. So, mm-hmm. so I mean, that's the basic process. You know, as strange as so, it sounds, so definitely most, looking most at, of my so, – yeah. So I'm looking sorry, at it as you're, you're beginning again, like you're beginning from scratch, literally. That's 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 pretty much it. Yeah. I mean, okay. What I was, was going to say is, believe it or not, most of my bankruptcy clients don't really have that much trouble getting credit. And, and okay. if you look at the ones that do, it's easy to see that it's not really the bankruptcy that's hurting the chances of getting credit. It's maybe the fact that they're out of work uh, still, or maybe they've had six jobs in the last three months, or you know, just the usual stuff that makes a bank nervous about giving you a loan. I mean, it's the same things that the same things that would make a bank nervous if you just walked in there and applied for credit today before bankruptcy are the same ones that are going to make a bank nervous after you file bankruptcy. It's just the, you know, the common sense stuff. Now, isn't it, uh, I guess how I want to put this, is it embarrassing? Someone's having to file bankruptcy. Um, Is this something like everybody now knows? Well, the only people that will get official notification of your bankruptcy are your creditors. So, I mean, just like any other court proceeding, and bankruptcy is a court proceeding in the federal bankruptcy courts. I mean, it is public record, so anybody who wanted to go down and check out your bankruptcy file could go down, go down to the bankruptcy clerk's office and do that. But on the other hand, it's in most places don't publish uh, bankruptcy filings in newspapers and or anything like that. And like I said, the only people who actually get official notification of, say, is your creditors, even your employer doesn't get an official notification of the bankruptcy. Okay. And the only other... The only other entity that uh, that does uh, monitor bankruptcy situations is the IRS. But other than that, um, nobody has to know you filed bankruptcy unless you tell them. Well, that's good. That's good to know. It's a relief. Now, do you find that people try to file bankruptcy just to get out of um, just to get out of paying bills? Well, I mean, there's lots of different reasons why people file bankruptcy. I mean, I, I've seen. Everything from people, um, you know, I mean, there's certainly been, there have certainly been people that have filed bankruptcy for over the years who, for them, it was just, a, you know, a, a business decision to make. But those kind of people are actually few and far between. Those are the kinds of things that make headlines, you know, in newspapers. But mm-hmm. the average bankruptcy filer, to tell you the truth, is just the average 
citizen who's living uh, pretty much paycheck to paycheck, or maybe they have a little savings and they have either a temporary disruption in their income or an unusual debt occurred. It's just enough to throw them over the edge. And, you know, everybody, right. every, everybody out there listening, I'm sure, is gonna, is, if they haven't experienced yet in their lifetime, is they're going to have a temporary disruption in their income or an unusual expense. But, of course, most people don't mm-hmm. file bankruptcy because the the temporary income problem or debt problem is not not enough to put them over the edge. But for a lot of people, it is. And that's the the average bankruptcy. But the vast majority of people I filed bankruptcy for um, just had a situation like that occur, especially, you know, when the economy is bad, people lose jobs or yeah. have a medical thing. Or, of course, divorce is another problem, especially these days because, you know, so many households are two-income households these days. You have two incomes paying for the same household, and then all of a sudden people get divorced and they have the same two incomes, but now they have two household expenses and they can't afford it anymore. Yeah. So, so those are the most common situations. That probably takes care of about, you know, 80% of the bankruptcies I file for. And on the other hand, so you it doesn't make a person have, a bad person, right? No, well, that, that's it right. It doesn't make a person that, a bad yeah. Well, you know, that's, the public policy behind the bankruptcy laws you know, when when Congress first enacted the bankruptcy laws, they didn't want people's uh, lives to be ruined over money. And as you can, I'm sure everybody realizes that once you come into financial stress, uh, it can be very bad. You become unproductive to yourself, your family, and society in general. And again, Congress didn't want people's lives to be ruined, so they give people the opportunity to file bankruptcy, get back on their feet again. And the, the theory behind it is they do become productive uh, to themselves, their family, and society in general. And then anybody, everybody benefits. And then, you know, these uh-huh. days, too, if you think about it these days, most creditors that people have these days are large institutional-type creditors, credit card companies, big hospitals, you know, finance companies, things like that. And therefore, you know, those types of uh, large institutional entities, they automatically assume that a certain amount of their debt's going to go bad every year. And, uh, you know, they, they, they plan for it and they, they price their products accordingly. So... Um, when you think about it, you know, those types of people that are involved in most bankruptcies, those types of creditors really aren't going to be that negatively impacted by the bankruptcy because they're already going to assume that that, you know, certain amount's going to go bad each year. Mm-hmm. Well, that's I mean, good. You never heard, you never heard of a credit card company going out of business, do you? I haven't, and they seem to be co- popping up everywhere. Like, there are more credit card companies. So yep. I yep. think that clears it up for a lot of people. Um, when they're thinking about is that even an, a viable option for them, they may have not even known to look into it. They may have been afraid of what that looks like. Does everybody know? And, like, okay, do I have to give up my home in, in um, the case of filing bankruptcy? I had to, you know, I can't keep up with everything. Do I have to give up my home? Will my car have to go back? Because well, those will be obvious things. I think people will know you had to move. So how often are people having to leave their Whoa. home or is that, well, actually, no, that's actually not true. Okay, that's that's another common misconception about bankruptcy. Okay, is that uh, you have you you necessarily have to lose assets, and that that's actually not the case. Now, when it comes to bankruptcy, there are two the two most common types of bankruptcies for individuals are Chapter Seven bankruptcies and Chapter Thirteen bankruptcies. And when it comes to bankruptcy, first of all, m- most people when they think about bankruptcy they automatically think of something that gets rid of debt, which, of course, any type of bankruptcy will do. But they don't realize that you can do more than just get rid of debt in bankruptcy. So, Uh for instance, uh, and that's where Chapter 13 bankruptcies come in, okay? Chapter 7 bankruptcies are very basic 
plain vanilla type bankruptcies. They are what we call liquidation type bankruptcies, and they are asset based. And the way chapters and they and they are good for pretty much exclusively getting rid of unsecured debt. And unsecured debt for most people will be credit cards and medical bills and, and things of that nature, which is a good portion of most people's debts. And when you file a Chapter Seven bankruptcy, they do look at look at your assets, but then. The way Chapter 7s work, when you file a Chapter 7, they, they look at your assets, they total up your assets, but then each state has what they call exemption laws because each state's legislature has gotten together and decided that there are certain assets they, that they want protected from uh, their citizens uh, to protect from their creditors. And so those exempt assets, and they vary from state to state, but those exempt assets you get to keep. And for the most for most of the people that file Chapter 7 bankruptcy cases, the assets that they own all fit within those exemption limits. And therefore, most people who actually file Chapter 7 bankruptcies don't have to hand over any of their assets because they, they are qualified as exempt. Okay, now the thing is, if you've got a situation where you did have assets that you might lose if you file the Chapter 7, that's where a Chapter 13 bankruptcy can help you. Because what a Chapter 13 bankruptcy can help you with a Chapter 13 bankruptcy is what we call a reorganization-type bankruptcy, and it's not a debt consolidation. You still get rid of debts in a Chapter 13, but Chapter 13s are a more comprehensive approach to bankruptcy, and in Chapter 13s, you can keep all of your assets, even the ones that you would normally lose if you filed a Chapter 7. And the thing mm-hmm. about Chapter 13s is they're, they're a very interesting type of bankruptcy because and they're actually the most popular type of bankruptcy these days in most areas of the country. And what a Chapter 13 bankruptcy does the Chapter 13 bankruptcy will get rid of all, or at least substantially, all of your unsecured debt, just like a Chapter 7 case will. Uh, but in the Chapter 13 cases, you can also stop foreclosures and use them to help catch up on your mortgage payments. You can actually restructure car loans and lower your car payments. Uh, you can defer student loans uh, in Chapter 13 cases. And you can also uh, get some assistance in paying off taxes if you owe any money to the IRS. So there's a, that's, a, that's something that most people don't realize that bankruptcy can do. Mhm. Mhm. I have a caller on the line that has a question for you. Is that all right? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Mari, you had a question for Attorney Feldman. Go ahead. Yes, I've recent. Well, not recently. I in the past filed bankruptcy when I was married. I've been divorced now for about four years, and the bankruptcy that I previously filed with my ex was almost ten years ago. Since okay. the divorce, I've had a very difficult time trying to get my affairs in order. And I wanted to find out, would it be an option, a good option, if I tried to file bankruptcy now? You say your first bankruptcy ended about 10 years ago? 10, close to 11 years. Okay, well, if if, it, if your first bankruptcy filing was that long ago, then you are eligible to file again. And would it be a, what types of debts do you have currently? Most of them are old credit card, plus I have some taxes that are passed. How old are the tax debts? Mm, tax debts are as old as the divorce, <laughs> about four years. Okay, and all of these all of these taxes were assessed at least three years ago? Yes. And um, how much money do you and your husband, new husband currently earn between the two of you? I, I'm not currently remarried. Not currently remarried. How much income do you have right now from all sources on a monthly basis? From all on a monthly basis, probably yes. twenty five hundred. 
Okay, and do you do you own any significant assets? No. Okay. Not at this time. Well, okay. Well, you sound like a you sound like a prime candidate for a Chapter Seven case because if you if all you if all you have is the credit card, all credit card debt, and all tax debts, uh, all tax debts, if they're more than three years from date of assessment, can be discharged in bankruptcy as well. And the typical Chapter Seven bankruptcy filer would be somebody who is dealing with mostly unsecured debt and has a limited number of assets, which it sounds like you do. And the reason I was asking you about your income level is because they did change the bankruptcy laws a bit in 2005. Uh, and one of the changes that they made in 2005 was to try to prevent certain people from being able to file uh, Chapter 7 cases. And the way they did that was once you make over a certain dollar amount, you're not eligible for Chapter 7. It sounds like uh, whatever jurisdiction you're in, $2,500 a month per single individual, you're probably uh, eligible for Chapter 7. So that sounds like a reasonable option for you, and there's no reason why you shouldn't look into filing bankruptcy again. Okay. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, Attorney Feldman, thank you for taking that call. Now, I want sure. you to tell us a little bit about your book that you have and give your website and how people can connect with you outside of this needs to be said. All right. Well, our website is just our law firm is Felden and Felden PA, and our, our our website's really easy. It's just our law firm name. It's Felden and Felden dot com, and Felden is uh, it's F as in Frank E L D E N A N D F E L D E N dot com. Uh, that's our website. Uh, our toll free number is eight 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 zero eight nine two nine one. And the book that you're referring to is available for free on my website. You go to our website, or you can call okay. our number, either one. You can you can order a free copy of the book. And the reason I wrote the book, <clears throat> quite frankly, is because, uh, you know, with the Internet these days and Google and everything else, there's actually a lot of good information about bankruptcy online. But the stuff online has a tendency to make bankruptcy sound about ten times more complicated than it really is. For most of the people, it's a very simple, straightforward procedure, and I wanted to write a book that was written in plain English that people could understand that dealt with the major problems that most consumers deal with and explain to them their different options in bankruptcy in, in easy-to-understand terms, and that's why I wrote the book. It's not, okay. a, it's not a long book. It's only about 75 pages, but it, it covers all of, the, all of the different ways you can deal with your house, your cars, taxes, student loans, uh, uh, all of the things that we've talked about today are all answered uh, in the book. Okay, and the book he's referring to is called Do You Need to Make a Financial U-Turn? Discover the Truth About Using Bankruptcy to Point Your Finances in the Right Direction. So that book can be found at www.feldenandfelden.com, and you said you're offering it for free? Yeah, if you go to our website, actually it's for sale on Amazon, but if anybody goes to our website and uh, fills out the book order form on the website, we actually give it out for free, mm -hmm. no postage, uh, not even, we even pay for the postage. There's no charge whatsoever. All right, well, there you have it. I want to say thank you so much for being a part of the show today. I think it's helped quite a few people on today uh, from the messages that I've received, and thank you for the caller that shared that scenario as well because I'm sure that helped somebody other than just the caller. So thank you, Attorney Feldman, for being a part of the show, and I hope that we get the opportunity to have you back on because there's so many other questions that people have. I know it's not a one-size-fits-all. It could be, you know, just one thing that's different in my world 
in someone else's world that could make the situation different, but only you would know that if, you know, we had the opportunity to spend more time together. So I hope that I can get you back on at some time in the near future. Well, you're very welcome, Catherine. I enjoyed it immensely, and I'll be happy to come by uh, and talk to you anytime. Thank you, and have a great day. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. I know that you all enjoyed that interview, and I'm definitely going to reach out to Attorney Selden and have him back on because there's some great questions there and definitely um, for someone to call in. It's, it's a, you put yourself in a little bit of a vulnerable spot when you have to talk about those affairs. Again, it's an elephant in the room, but I want you all to feel safe here to be able to get your answers so that, you know, we have experts that come in so that you can move your direction, your your life in the direction that you need to. Um, so I'm so grateful for that opportunity, and I love when those experiences happen like that. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we have a special guest. And Stephanie's been on with us before. She came on when she talked about her play, and she's done quite a few other things since last being on with us. But she's going to share with us about a children's book that she's written. And so she's promoting that and on tour about that. So just stay tuned, and we're going to lighten things up just a little bit. And if you've been looking for some good literature for your children, um, bedtime is a special time around our house to do some reading. So picking up a copy of a, a new bedtime favorite is right up our alley, too. So if you're a parent of small children and you're wanting to find some great literature, this is the interview you want to stay tuned for. We'll be right back. common occurrence in the modern family home is the constant switching on and off of light switches. Let's be honest, it can be difficult to remember what every switch does in a multiple light switch plate. With light switch labels, you can now correctly identify which is the correct switch at a glance. Light switch labels have a transparent backing and are applied and removed simply. They're perfect for switches, power boards, appliances, or even other features outside the home. So avoid the confusion of large light switch plates and visit our website at abcdistributors.com.au and visit our Facebook page at Light Switch Labels. Jewelry Glow Sale. Nose piercing, fake nose ring, cartilage ring, and more. Go to etsy.com, etsy.com, and search Jewelry Glow. Crow's feet, ugly bags, fine lines, wrinkles. Unless you've stopped aging, it gets worse. Identifying your eye issues, puffiness, dark circles, wrinkles, dryness, that's the easy part. Finding an eye cream that will make them disappear, not so easy. Essence to beauty takes away the guesswork. Do you want to slow down or reverse the aging process around your eyes? Essence to Beauty has a soothing and hydrating cucumber peptide eye gel that will give your eyes a noticeable lift. Peptides are a very powerful ingredient that penetrates deep into your skin, making a noticeable difference around your eyes. We've got the answer to help you regain your youth, adding years back to your eyes. Go to eyesgreen.com and get your youthful look back today. At Paradise Candles, we use the finest ingredients to create beautiful handmade wax candles using certifiably organic wax. Each candle has a unique blend of essential oils that is sure to relax and make you feel at peace. Choose from paraffin wax, soy wax, or beeswax. 
and select from calming pumpkin spice, refreshing linen, soothing lavender, or nourishing peppermint. Order now at paradisecandles.com. That's P-A-R-R-A-D-I-S-E candles.com. Thank you so much for joining us today for This Needs to Be Said. We're kicking your week off with some knowledge and some inspiration, and definitely I'm going to turn it up just a little bit here with Miss Stephanie Singleton. She's an author, playwright, and director. She's been on the show before, and we have the, the phenomenal opportunity to uh, – she did a new concept with her play. She put it online for people to see who – were not in her city. Now, usually people would put their play on after they've, you know, run a few cities and they've recorded there, but she did something, she did it live. So I like that concept and was happy to be a part of that. So anytime she has a new project, I'm ready to have her back on to share with us because I love people who think that way. So she has Ryan and Riley, which is a children's book, and she's going to share with us the concepts behind that, that it teaches our children. And you will remember her um, just because she's a, she's a great person um, to interview. We had a lot of fun, and some of her cast members were able to be on with her. So at this time, I'm going to welcome Miss Stephanie uh, D. Singleton back to This Needs to Be Said. How are you? Hi, Kathy. How are you? I'm wonderful. Now, you are so versatile in the things that you yes. present to me, and I, I never know what's going to happen. <laughs> I, I never know. Me, so you me and neither. Your pen have, <laughs> so you and your pen are always doing something. I mean, you've written a book um, for adults. You Now you have one for children, and you've also uh, written a play, and that's where we met each other. But today we're going to talk about um, Ryan and Riley and Mr. Yeah. Teddy the Teddy Bear. I left that part off. Share with us, like, how did that come up? Because this is a big stretch from the last book. It's a big stretch. Actually, it, it's so many elements. How I, the, the reason the book, the concept, it came about. One, it was because I had saw that there was no children in my household, and and then my mom had taken it ill, thinking of all these little things like, well, when I get older, who's gonna take care of me? I have nobody, you know, to see about me. But if you're not investing in the kids, how they gonna know you exist? And it was just a plat. Mm-hmm. The platform just the it just like a Mary Joseph story. Like I was just impregnated with this story and an opportunity to go out to you know mentor and give back to kids so that um, they they would have something to grow from. But then yet yeah, that I'm involved with the kids, they remember Stephanie. So it was it was really general. It wasn't the ideal of just wanting to write a book. It was just really a legacy type of thing. And then I seen so many things happen in the news. And I just wanted to give back the kids, distract them for what they're reading and seeing on television and reading and on the Internet and whatnot. So this was that opportunity I take for all those different reasons. Okay. All right. Well, tell us about this book because it's not just a book and you're talking about nope. legacy, but it's, there's, you're teaching lessons in that. So what are the main points that we as parents will get from this and as we're teaching our little one to read or, you know, to identify, you know, certain words or identify characters, what did you pull out as the lessons that we would learn from this story? And what is it about, first of all? Let's back up. What is this book about? What is the book about? Um, the Ventures of Ryan and Riley and Mr. Teddy, the teddy bear, is just two siblings, brother and sister, who go on a, just ju- just the average, just the regular type of journey a child will go on, not the imaginary journey, just realistic journeys that children actually find themselves in um, situations. And so, um 
what I do is I take them on a realistic journey, and they're sent on the journey based off their mother. So what I'm the premise of the book is responsibility, respect, and family bonding. That's what they'll get from the book, okay. as well as the exciting story. Yes. And Mr. Teddy awesome. is Riley's best friend, so you will see that's how we introduce him in his story and allows me to carry him into any other books that I write because you always see Riley with her teddy bear. Mhm, mhm, now, nice. So, what are some of the adventures or some of the things that these two children you know they have to you know learn their lessons like just give us a little snippet. These kids are working through what issue, and you saw that translate into something for our kids today uh well, the family bonding first of all is just and loyalty to um their each other. That's what I have, and I love this book. You see, my characters are African-American, and they're strong. You cannot confuse them. There's, like, dark-skinned chocolate. So I wanted the kids to see that, the urban, these urban children. Um, they go on the journey. The journey that they're sent on is based off their mother sending them to a location, telling them to do something. And on their journey, they get distracted, a little detour. You know how we find something else that happened and put it off, and then really don't the mom's uh, words doesn't come to mind until you see trouble happening. Then it's like, oh no, something oh. she warned us. She warned us of. So she she oh. gave them a warning what she wanted to do, and then they uh-huh. kind of got distracted. Now they got to make their way back and do what they were supposed to do, and you know, please their mother. And I love these kids are really obedient to their mother because that was their concern. Oh my God, disappointing mom. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it, it brings the story full circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that, like that flash, you know, and that's definitely like intuition. Like if you really just listen to your gut, you've heard a warning and you know the answer, but where, you know, mom gave it to me. So that's great. And that that helps the kids building, you said family bond, but that respect for their mom or their their dad or, you know, the the elders in their community. Yeah, because they're, they're giving you, you know, they've been there before. Everything isn't perfect. As we get adults, we know that. Um, Become adults, we know that. But for the most part, they're giving you life lessons, and if we do listen, some of the things, a lot of the things we could just not have to experience personally. We can say, okay, that probably would hurt or that probably would put me in a bad position, so I don't have to do that. So that's a, that's a great life lesson, So and to have that flashback. Mom warned us about this, so that's pretty good. So how um, long, know, how many pages is this book? The book is actually... It's actually 32. It's a 32-page illustration, small paragraphs. Mm-hmm. But I, I it's somehow or another, I just continued. I needed to. It was. I needed to continue going that long because it, it just brought me. It gave me a beginning, a climax, and an end. And it just. So it took that amount of illustrations to make it happen. And what I love about, as we were saying again about the mother speaking to the children, the kids remembering what mm-hmm. the parents say. What I like is mm-hmm. because. This, as we were saying, being adults, you remember all that. And this is where it starts. These ages that we are, with the tender, fresh age where you start molding the kids. And you carry that mentality as you get older. Because me being in a location, different location states by myself, um, I sometimes I'm, I have to remember mom's voice, what she said, you know, when I find mm-hmm. myself in trouble, what I was taught. So you don't forget that. And this is a great opportunity. That's why I wanted to go into the kids. Because this is that molding age, and they will they will not they won't remember Stephanie per se, but they'll remember this experience that I'm I'm, I'm presenting. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. don't forget the kids and don't I, remember that. Absolutely, and when we have that story time, the kids are retelling what they heard you say, so it goes from mimicking mm-hmm. to actually um, understanding. Oh, this is what you were saying because 
first they're just repeating the words she said or they're telling their version of the story, but it is a definite way to bring out um, a lesson. So is the book broken up into, like, sections, like there's a story here um, about the family bond and then it goes into something else, or is it um, woven into the entire story from the beginning to the end? Yes, it's woven into the story. Once they read and see the journey, they'll comprehend, and it'll all come together at the conclusion of the story. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, right, nice. So what I was uh, uh, thinking of is when we're sitting down with our kids and we're reading something, their favorite story, and this will be one of their new favorite bedtime stories, is you remember that time Mommy told you, you know, not to run out to the street without looking both ways. You were chasing after your ball. You know, in the story, you could kind of pull out something because now they don't see I'm scolding you. I'm saying, you see how Ryan and Riley handled this? This would be one of those times when you would think, wait a minute, I was given some instructions to keep me safe. I can get my ball, but I can keep I can keep myself safe, and I'm just giving a little cheesy example there. But I, I, I love conversation time with your young children during the time you're reading a story because they can see their friends in the story uh, experiencing something that they may have had a problem with. And we're talking, you know, three, four, five-year-olds, but they have problems, and they're trying to sort them out themselves. They want to be big boys and girls. But with that, you know, how can you be a big boy or girl and, you know, take the advice that mommy is giving you or the instructions that mommy is giving you? And this is something that they carry throughout their life because I'm not trying to control you. I want Uh you to have the freedom to grow and develop your personality and be who you're going to be, but be safe and, you know, not get hurt and some decisions you don't have to make that's going to kind of take you off course. So having those conversations during story time is always great. And I think about those things. And when I saw your um, your message to me about the new book, and I was like, I can't wait to talk with her about it because it's such a stretch uh, from the, the other book. And I'm going to name it real quick, and they can go out to your website and see that. It's the hair, was it the hair between my legs? The Pathway to is a Woman's Heart and Soul. Yes. Yeah. So with that one, that that's completely different from here. So you're speaking of you're speaking empowerment for the women, and then I love you said, okay, I don't have this yet. So who's going to take care of me later? So thinking of the future, and oftentimes we have people who don't have children that kind of cast the children to the side, like that's not my problem. But you're not. You said somebody's going to have to take care of me if this never happens for me. If I don't ever have children of my own, somebody I have to proceed somewhere. So that's a much bigger thought and legacy. So I applaud you for that. Thank you. Thank you. And I also want to mention the book. Another thing I love is it's being translated into Spanish. So I'm able to oh. talk to the other. Yes, yes. It's a diverse book. So um, I'm excited about that opportunity. And that was introduced to me by going to another book reading to do that. Okay. And then knowing the area that I'm in. Yeah. So I'm excited about that part. Absolutely, because you are on the West Coast, and you have a bit of a melting pot over there, so um, not leaving anyone out, because regardless yes. of our our backgrounds, we have some of the same issues we care about our children. So that, I mean, that was smart. That was smart business-wise, um, for real, and that definitely opens up more opportunities and more experiences uh, for you as an author and playwright. So thank you so mm-hmm. much for being a part of This Needs to Be Said. Give your website and tell people how they can connect with you outside of This Needs to Be Said. They can actually go to www.stephaniedsingleton.com. Again, that's www.stephaniedsingleton.com. All right. So until the next project, <laughs> have a wonderful, wonderful day, yes. okay? Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. 
This show is jam-packed, full of information and entertainment, and there is a film director that is going to join us in just a little while. I told you about him at the beginning of the show, Mr. Sean Spillman, and he has a film that's going to be at Winston-Salem. They're going to show it pre premiere it at Winston-Salem State University this week, right in time for Black History Month. And there's so many things. I talked about male empowerment, um, what this movie is going to bring out, definitely helping a young woman uh, weave through her life of struggles with having HIV, being in the South, and trying to find the right direction for herself. So just don't go anywhere. We're still, we still have more show for you, and we haven't did Daily Dose of Weird News yet. You don't want to miss that, as well as Valerie Sun is coming to talk politics with us. So stay tuned. We'll be right back, and we'll be getting ready for that interview in just a bit. Would you love to get rid of those bags under your eyes? Would you love a facelift, but you don't want to pay for an expensive and risky surgery? If you answered yes, and if you have a face, then you need to watch this two-minute jaw-dropping video. Do it now. Your face will thank you. Facelift2minutes.com. That's facelift2minutes.com. Introducing an adorable children's book series promoting family wellness. Sammy the Centipede provides information about nutrition, exercise, and balancing work and family life in a fun and colorful series. Doctors, educators, parents, and children are all raving about Sammy the Centipede. See for yourself. Visit the author's page, Maria, L-U-C-H-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. Available in print or Kindle ebook. Visit the Medical and More storefront on Amazon to find great deals on Disney, Fisher-Price, and other great products for less. Just search Medical and More within Amazon to see our amazing products and savings, such as the new baby folding sleeping tent bed for just over $5. At Medical and More, we make life easier and save you money. At Paradise Candles, we use the finest ingredients to create beautiful handmade wax candles using certifiably organic wax. Each candle has a unique blend of essential oils that is sure to relax and make you feel at peace. Choose from paraffin wax, soy wax, or beeswax, and select from calming pumpkin spice, refreshing linen, soothing lavender, or nourishing peppermint. Order now at paradisecandles.com. That's P-A-R-R-A-D-I-S-E candles.com. Do you have difficulty getting to sleep? Do you rarely feel like you've actually rested during the night? You're busy, but you can't get anything done when you feel like a mindless zombie. Sue Wilhite's new sleep enhancer can help you wake up rested, alert, and energized so you can be more productive. Just listen to the sweet sound of sleep for five minutes before you go to bed so you can be ready to take on the world. Check out SweetSoundOfSleep.com for more information and to get yours today. Tio to Tio is a new social website focusing on the latest news relating to music, style, show business, and culture. 
TO 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 aims to share news, music, and inspirational stories and offers a stage to showcase talent and dares you to be different. Alongside the best in entertainment and cultural news, there's also an original blog section. Register free at www.tio2to.com and start interacting today. Have you ever wanted to trade the markets but felt intimidated? Now you can. Introducing From Wall Street to Your Street, a new online course that will teach you proven, time-tested strategies and techniques which were invented by the legendary market wizards. If you want to learn how to trade from real professionals, this course is for you. Head to tradeprosper.com forward slash e-book. Enter coupon code radio for 65% off. That's tradeprosper.com forward slash e-book. Thank you so much for joining us today for This Needs to Be Said. Our next guest, Mr. Sean Spillman, is a filmmaker, activist with Spillman Films and Fame Productions. In this role, Mr. Spillman leads a team providing media, digital production, and distribution for clients. A big believer in media, video, as a powerful medium in all aspects of life, social, political, spiritual, and economical. Mr. Spillman utilizes his political science background and knowledge of digital production in a way that promotes businesses and people that allows them to brand or market their company using media distribution that is competitive and cost-effective. He is no stranger to the video production world and hard work. He earned a B.S. in political science at Winston-Salem State University in 2001. He likes to use the marriage of these two talents to create thought-provoking media. Mr. Spillman has produced a series of You Be the Judge, which allows citizens to engage and dialogue with elected officials in a relaxed environment. He has produced two DVDs for the late, great poet and activist Dr. Maya Angelou, Cocktails and Conversations, and has worked and produced for a wide array of clients. However, one of his proudest moments has been the completion of his debut film, this 2015 um, movie that we're going to be talking about in just a few moments, Piglet's Miracle, a story about a young girl in the South who is struggling with HIV and a tough life. He is not only a lover of producing material for clients, he also loves creating companies that seek to inform and enhance. A few of these companies are FAME, which is an acronym for Film, Art, Music, and Entertainment, MAMA, Mothers Against Madness Association, and and it's A-N-D, Autism Needs Dialogue. And I love, I especially love that last one because I've shared with you all that my older two nephews have been diagnosed with uh, autism, and so that has a special space in my heart for that. So at this time, we're going to welcome Mr. Sean Spillman, too, this needs to be said. So, um, Mr. Spillman, thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I am wonderful and excited about this project that you have coming up this week at, at your alumni. So let's talk a bit about how Piglet came to be. And if um, she's on the line with us, let me know so I can um, tune her yeah, in as yeah. well because I don't want to. Go ahead. Yeah, she's she's here with me. Can you hear us on speakerphone? She's here with me. It's kind of breaking up. Okay, let me um, go ahead. Okay. 
Can you hear me better now? I hear you perfect now. We'll figure okay, something great. out so we have both of you on in just a moment. But we're going to get started sure. with you. How did this project come about? Wow, I'll try to use uh, brevity on this issue because we can go on for hours. Uh, Uh-oh. I actually, can you hear me? Yes. I was even saying we could go yes. on for hours, and I was saying, uh-oh, to that. No, 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 that's <laughs> why I said I'll, 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 I said I'll be brief. Um, uh-huh. Actually, I was inspired. I, I met Piglet, uh, her name is Yasmin Gaddison, about a year ago. And when I met the family, not just her, some of the other family members in the family, I was like, wow, look at all this raw talent. So I started brainstorming, and as I got to know her, I created a fictional character, and I wanted to highlight her talent. So no one on a personal level inspired me to do a movie around her and based on her life because there are so many people out there, uh, particularly young black women that go through certain struggles still with identity crisis in the South and also added on the fact that without having her father in her life, so I was really inspired to do something about her life story, and but in a fictional setting. Now, this week, uh, are you still with me? Yes, I'm here. There we go. Okay, so this week you are going to be at Winston-Salem State University, and you will be sharing this film with the school. So what are some of the things that people, you're hoping that they would walk away from understanding from this film? Okay, I apologize. That's the following week. This week we're doing our debut at Salem College. It's, uh, it's oh, a university. Okay. Yes, yes. And then the, then the oh. following week went to Salem State. So the 29th yeah, through February 4th. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I apologize if we conveyed the wrong message. Uh, we oh, are I got excited. Doing... No, no problem. They clear that up. So Salem University. Okay, yes. So that's yes. going to be this at, week? At... Okay. Yes, ma'am, the 29th through the 4th, every night at 7 p.m. at the Hubbard Theater. And um, we're really we're really excited because the debut, we will have all the actors and actresses there to speak to the public uh, with the screenings. And so we're really blessed. We reached out to quite a few people, and it seemed like uh, Salem College is very progressive. It's a women's university. They were the first to offer such a great uh, location so we're excited about working with them. Our point of contact is a young lady over there named Emily Long for Student Affairs. Mm-hmm. So we're excited. We're really, you know, excited. Like I said, this is my first uh, two-hour feature film, so we're we're excited about this project. Okay, so, well, then that, that moves me, too, because I was going to ask where else will you um, take this, if you will take it anywhere. So you're going to Salem U- University and then Winston-Salem University on the following week. Yes, and, we'll, and we'll, we we actually have a few up in the air, too, um, as far as from Black History Month. We're waiting to hear back from some mm-hmm. of the universities. But mm-hmm. probably probably the beginning part of March, uh, if we still feel like we have the momentum, we're going to open it up to the, the theaters locally. We're working something out with them now so people can come. Okay, you know, they don't have to, to go through us. So just say a prayer for us. Keep your fingers crossed. We're excited. Well, definitely it's um it's a journey in itself, so much success as you go on this journey. And since I'm in Charlotte, you can definitely bring it to Johnson C. Smith uh, University, so don't, don't forget about us down here, too. No, I love you guys. I'm HBC. Yes, yes, great. Thank you. 
Absolutely bring it down this way too. But Winston Salem is not too far of a drop. So you got two cities already. So you're going from the 29th. So is it three or four days each time that you will be sharing it? Uh, well, yeah. Well, we we usually wanted to do three or four days, but at Salem College we're running it for six to seven days. We're running oh. it for a full week there. And one of the reasons uh-huh. is, believe it or not, they, um, like I said, they're very progressive, and you know they've done screens for the Daryl Hunt documentary. They're real. They're real. Believe it or not, those young ladies over there are not just uh, students. They seem to be activists, believe it or not. So we were inspired to work with them, and, and we're excited about that. So, yes, we'll do we'll do screenings usually three to four days, but over there we're going to run it for a week long. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, so uh, what I wanted to know from you, when I walk away from the film, what is something you hope that I, me as a viewer that I get from it? Wow. Um I would hope that you would just like any like any project that we would just bring some awareness and um some knowledge to the sense of what our young sisters go through you know mm-hmm. um and one of the reasons yeah I would just hope that you would connect with piglet's character um i'm I'm assuming at first you'll probably dislike her mother <laughs> until you understand why the mother is the way she is. I don't want to give away that part. Okay. But okay. I, I would hope that you, you know, you as a uh, another black woman in America or just women in general would just be able to just be able to be on one page with Piglet's struggle because her story is like the story of thousands, probably millions of young ladies around the world, whether they have HIV, whether they're facing racism, sexism, or they happen to be in a male-dominated society. So we feel like it's a universal appeal. Her story may be personally talking about Piglet in Winston-Salem, but we feel like it has a universal appeal, a universal approach and catch. Now, how did you come up with the name Piglet? <sighs> how did I come up with the name Piglet? Well, her name her uh, her name is Mookie, is her nickname. Her, her birth name is Jasmine Gaddison, and she has the, just the prettiest cheeks, right, and she's a sweet young lady. She's, uh, you know, she sings. And one day we happened to be eating together, and I was like, "Wow, this little girl can eat." So I was joking with her. I said, "Hey, Peggy, hey, sweetie," <laughs> and she and she liked the name. You know, I was I was saying it in jest, like having fun. She liked the name. Her nickname used to be Mookie. Now everybody in the city calls her Piglet, and um, you know, the name was not to insult. But she, when you see her, she has an infectious smile. She's a pretty little girl with big cheeks. So. You know, she's just an amazing person. Mhm. All right. So, in this, um, you have you said as an African American woman, you had what you wanted me to walk away from. But you and I, when we talked um, before um, getting you set up for the interview, you talked about um, African American men and how they're generally depicted in a negative way, and you wanted to shed some positive light on that as well. So let's let's go into that just a little bit. Sure. Um, in my own personal story, um, my my story is one that I, when I was a child in, in Washington State, I'll say this to, to draw the connection, uh, there was something powerful about the black community then. It still exists, but it was, it was so powerful then that the men then uh, were very mindful of trying to help the young children. I'll, I'll give you this example. I used to sneak into the gym at Olympic College where the basketball players would be. And before they would actually start their official practice, they'd have a scrimmage game. They would let me play, and they'd let me score, and they would let me be a part of that. They were building up my confidence. And that's something that 
you know, from from my uh, music, from everything I've done, I was blessed to be around black men that kind of taught me the ways and ropes of certain things. So in my way of giving back, I thought, wow, brothers always get the negative media, whether you're Muslim or you're black in America or some type of minority, sometimes the powerful media that exists, our new religion, kind of shapes people's ideas about specific groups. We see today, mm-hmm. not trying to get sidetracked, that uh, you know it still shows that black males' lives are sometimes devalued. We can see that in Ferguson. We can see that around the country and not trying to digress. So I thought, you know what? Piglet's mother was killed. I mean, Piglet's father was killed in the movie. Something that we, we don't talk about enough. Black-on-black crime is a real issue. He was killed in the movie. She lost her father when he, she was three. So now all these positive black male role models are in her life, from her doctor. He's a positive uh, black male role model. Her professor, the people that are interested in her life. So it, it's kind of that African proverb that it takes a, a village to raise a child. And, mm-hmm. you know, we all we all see that, but sometimes – there are some sources out there that are doing a good job with that, you know, highlighting what brothers and sisters do. But that was my way of giving back and saying, you know, I don't want to show the brothers in the negative light. Yes, un- unfortunately, it's a part of the movie that violence pushes the issue and story of Piglet. It's a reality. But the reality also is that we got these positive brothers in the community that are doing great things and have, have been good father figures for children like Piglet that his father in this movie, doesn't. he's, he's deceased. Mhm. Mhm. But you but you find out what I what I'm hearing from this and I I'm looking forward to the film uh, myself but what I'm hearing from this is among the the rubble basically of our lives the negativity that we can pull from there's so much positivity that's there yes in the perfect world I have the right mom and the right dad they'd be so perfect and the right community and everything mm. would be just roses for me you know However, given a lot of our lives, it doesn't go in a straight line. It squiggles and circles around and zigzags, and and you learn your lessons along the way. So if we're um, very attentive to what you're sending through the message, yes, she may have lost her dad, but what was replaced was something more, a community that surrounds her and supports her, which sends a bigger message to our community as a whole Yes, we could take the other side where well, that child is that way because her dad died and just stand back and criticize and observe, so to speak, or be mm-hmm. spectators in her life. But it sounds like these people, did they took a different approach. They decided to be involved and, and sowing seeds in her journey of her life. They could have really taken a different approach, but, of course, that wouldn't make a good film um, if you did that. But wow. on the other side, it sends a great message uh, for you to have sent the community in to show her a lot of things because if you're looking up, looking to other men, who would I have a relationship with and who would I, you know, make friends with and, and can men and women really be friends and is this person always after me to get something from me? Because a lot of women think that a man is only in my face because they sure, want something. So sure. you're sending a lot of positive sure. messages just from what you're sharing with me here. So I can't wait to see yes. how you depicted that on the screen. Yes, we, we, we pray that we'll we'll meet your expectation hopefully. You know, and, and I, I just say, add this note, like it's, you know, it's very important. Media is such a powerful tool. Like, sister, I see what you're doing now, you know, with your with your show. We need more venues and outlets. What you're doing is amazing. So we hope that we can, in, in lieu of that, you know, do something that will help people. Because there are plenty of great mm-hmm. brothers and sisters out here that are doing that. So, yes, that's what our idea was on that. 
All right. Well, awesome. Well, much success on your journey. Of course, with you being a part of an HBCU, you know all the schools that you can hit up in and around North Carolina and all throughout the United States. But I I want to um, definitely leave the door open for any new development when you want to come back on to This Needs to Be Said to share with us, you know, where you'll be next. Because right now it's Salem University and then Winston-Salem University. So I did clear up some of the posts while we were talking because I assumed Winston-Salem. And um, if Salem... No, no, no. We'll we'll take that on our end. I think I... Yes, I think we, 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 on our end, we related incorrectly. Yes, and I did have Piglet here, uh, and this would, you know, this would be very instrumental. Yeah, this would be her first interview. So we ask in oh, the spirit of the. Oh, I love being a part of first. Yes, I love yes. It. We ask in spirit of the great ancestors, the African griots, that we just kind of let her try her first time out. Here she is, okay? Oh, absolutely! I love it. I love it. Welcome. Hello. Hey, welcome. Hi. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. Now, I just want to know a little bit about you before we talk about your experience with the film. Like, did you do any acting before that, or was this your first time? Um, have you? Just tell me about you. I just want to get to know you. I'm excited. <laughs> well, um, during school, I used to, you know, go to drama class a little bit, and I got a little excited and wanted to do a little bit more. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm glad I met. Mr. Sean Spillman. I'm glad you did too, because then I get to meet you as well. So now you have you're in a film, and people are going to see this everywhere, um, starting in Salem, North Carolina. You already have two cities, so do you get to travel um, with them when they are doing the premieres of the movie? Yes. Will you get to do that? Oh, that's going to yes, be good. Yes. Oh, well, you have to get your hair done pretty and sign autographs and stuff like that. <laughs> But what is it like being yeah. a part of a film? Because I was in drama class too, but I, I was never good <laughs> at acting. Well, <laughs> it's um, it's a little nerve wracking sometimes. Sometimes it's like sometimes you can you can have different like mood swings. So it just depends on how you feel during the day. Oh, okay. So did did it make you? Did you find that this is a, a play, something you want to do again, or maybe you can't tell me with Mr. Spillman right there? So I was going to ask you, is this something that you <laughs> you want to do again? I was going to ask you, did you want it to be over? But you, you're excited about doing more. What do you yeah. think so far has been the best part of this experience for you? Because you, ha- you guys haven't shown it to anyone yet, have you? No. Um, I think the best part is just meeting different people and, you know, getting, like, getting little details and side stories about what they think should go in and, you know, all of that. That's been a fun part. Awesome, meeting new people. So I, I look forward to seeing the film and seeing you um, in action and seeing uh, what your your debut acting um, performance is like. Now, during this, you have probably learned a lot of things hands-on about a young lady going through HIV, um, broken home kind of thing. So what was the lesson that you took away from the work that you did? Um, I would probably say, um, the part where her mother, well, kind of tells her, but doesn't at the same time. Say that one more time for me. She does what? She does what? She, um, 
she tells Piglet, but at the same time she doesn't. So. Okay. And what what did you learn about um, someone that's living a life suffering with HIV? Um, I've learned that it's very hard and um, it's it's very stressful for some people. But if you do the right thing and you know, take your medication, you can get through life a lot easier. Well, not a lot, but you know. Mm-hmm. Did it make you have a different point of view for, from different aspects? Like maybe there was something about your peers that you didn't quite understand until after being a part of this film. Was there something new you learned? Like I get why they, they behave like that now. Did you learn something like that? Yes. Like um, I've learned how people's different personalities and how they are and, you know, just how they how they feel when different people, you know, speak to them or talk about them. Literally. Mhm. Mhm. Wow. So, how old are you? I am thirteen. Thirteen? Yes, ma'am. Oh wow! I was thinking much older than that. So you're doing <laughs> good for a first interview. And I'm not just saying that, but I love first interviews, and I'm glad that you let me um, be the first interview that you've done. Now you can go off and do many other interviews now. Uh, but you you sound like you're going to have a lot of fun, and this has been a great experience for you. And 13 is a, a great age because you're in between middle school and high school age peers, and you guys have a lot that you already have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. So now you've added in a new element of this life with Piglet and what she's dealing with in this film. So will you get the opportunity to speak to youth groups about any of the issues that Piglet's face? Yes, of course, um, a lot. It's going to be a lot of interviews and talking. It's going to be a lot more nervous than what I am now. Oh, you'll get better at it. You'll be less nervous now. I want to know from you and Mr. Spillman, are we um, able to know now how Piglet contracted HIV, or is that something we got to wait? Um, I'll just let you watch the movie, and okay. cause I don't want to spoil the surprise, you know. Okay, okay. Well, I was wondering if that's something we can know now. We'll wait to have to see the film, and that's all right. Well, I want to say thank you so much for being a part of This Needs to Be Said and allowing me to have your first interview, okay? Yes, I'm thankful that I could speak to you, and I'm just very glad that, you know, this is my first time, and I actually feel very comfortable talking to you. Awesome, awesome. Well, then I've done my job then. <laughs> you have anybody you want to shout out? <laughs> um, shout out to my mom, you know, my family, the ones that helped me. Just thank, thankful for awesome. all of them. Awesome stuff. All right. Well, we'll get back to Mr. Spillman, and I, I look forward to uh, getting the opportunity to meet you on one of these um, viewings. I'm thinking I'm going to be there for the one in Winston-Salem, though. That's my plan. All right? Yes. All right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Hello. All right. Wow. Well, that was, that was that great. Was, that was great. You guys were wonderful. Thank you. That was great. Yeah. I love whenever it, and you told me it was the first, so I got excited about yes. that. I love we got we got we got to put we got to put that out there. And, and you have a gift, sister. I will say you have a gift. Uh, you know, oh, you're amazing you. at what you do. So yes. Well, and uh, you know, I I actually um had a you know I have. Thursday, you'll be able to, whoever comes out will be able to speak to all the the, the uh, actors and actresses, 
And I'm actually personally mentoring one of the young men in the show. He's with me as well. He he uh, plays a part in it. So we were so excited for the interview. We appreciate your time. If you needed a word with him, that's fine. Or if you want to wait till when you meet. Oh no, that's absolutely, absolutely. Um, I want to definitely have an opportunity to talk with him anytime that we have our young people and they're doing something that they can grow from, and it also gives other people. We don't want to miss this opportunity. You won't get this again. So. Let me definitely yes, have okay. a look with him. Okay, I'm, I'm going to give the phone to you, okay, to him. Okay, here he is. Okay. Hello? Hi there. You have to Hello. tell me your name. Hello? Hey, my name. Hey, how you doing? My name is Christopher Grooms. All right, Christopher. Now tell us about your part in the film. Um, my part in the film, I was just pretty much explaining um, one of the, the tragic incidents that happened in the movie. And um, mm-hmm. that was, uh, flashbacks, it, it has <clears throat> a lot to do with a flashback that happened in the beginning of the movie, and I was explaining it to someone over the phone. Uh, it okay. wasn't a major role, but it was a role that I was comfortable with, and that, that's pretty much it. Well, what did you, because being a part of the process, I, I know what you did, you may feel like it's not that, that um, impactful, but I'm sure it is. In you being a part of this whole project, what did you walk away from, walk away with knowing that you didn't know or understand so clearly before? What did I walk away knowing that I didn't understand clearly before? Yeah. Was it something um, new that you learned during this process? In the process and the role that I played? Well, well, not just the pro- not just the role that you played, but all the way around with the whole concept of the film, what did you get from it? Um, what did I get from it? Um, I'm going to pretty much say that because people pretty much go through this on a day-to-day basis, and mm-hmm. a lot of people could relate to this movie. So... Um, well, then give me one of those things. You feel like people can relate to it. So what are one of the scenarios that people can relate to that you think is going to make it just is going to make it good for them? They're going to feel like somebody else feels my pain. What was one of those things? As far as, far as um, kids growing up without a, a father, because this happened mm-hmm. a lot, and I just witnessed this over the summer. Um, my sister, daughter's father, he passed away. And mm-hmm. so... A lot, a lot like that. Okay, so I'm sure she dealt with a lot of grieving, whether they were together or not. Yeah. She was still dealing with something because this is a part of her daughter's life, if, no, if for no other reason, right? Yes, ma'am. Because this yeah, uh, people yeah. going through life with sicknesses, and so I, I just pretty much feel like people can relate to this movie on that note. And okay. Well, I'm good. nervous. So your role this, in this, this is my first interview, so forgive me. <laughs> oh, I, I'm not even. I'm not worried about this being your first interview. I'm excited that it's your first interview. I love first interviews. So, with your role and you're you're giving, you know, a, a flashback, or you're giving the, you know, what happened kind of thing. So you're an informer in this role. So you're helping to carry the story. It sounds like, right? Yes, ma'am. Okay. 
Well, we won't give too much away because if I have to ask you to tell me what you were um, telling on the phone, you'll give away too much of the story. I'm pretty sure of that. But I look forward to meeting you and um, seeing you in action as well. Now, with doing this, you said you were comfortable with this role. Do you see yourself doing some more acting, or are you going to get behind the camera, or are you going to say, no way, I'm not doing it anymore? Yes, ma'am. I do want to do a lot more acting. And we was mm-hmm. already discussing on working on a film as something that I wanted to do or, you know, we we was discussing it. So maybe in the near future you will see that for me and Mr. Sean Spielman. All right. I look forward to that. And I've told him on – I want you all to come back anytime there is a new project, and then I can I can do your second first interview. How about that? <laughs> yes, ma'am, and I I probably feel a lot more comfortable. You you will you will it, it comes a, it takes a little while, but you will. I'm excited for you all getting this opportunity. Now, this is what I want to know, actually, from both of the young people. Do you get you get like bragging rights with your friends now? Because you're like a you're in the, you're in a movie. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I I think once it really hit and people start watching it, people will brag about it. Hey, did you see such and such in a movie? Did you see what happened? And I feel like once people see me and Piglet and a few other people in a movie that they are familiar with, it'll really get around. And a lot more All people right. will probably go see it. And once they see people in a movie that they know or, you know, yeah, I think that would, as a young person, I think that would be exciting for me, too. There's my friend. You know you know how you see somebody at school, but then you see them out somewhere that's not school, and, like, you lose your mind, like you didn't just see them, like, an hour ago at school? I think that it does that. It would do that for me as a young person, seeing one of my friends. Yes, ma'am. I, I believe that's what's going to happen. Yeah, so that's going to be exciting. That's going to be exciting for you. So I'm excited about this journey. So you are, would you get to travel as well when they go to the different um, colleges to show the film? Yes, ma'am. I'm going to help promoters as much as I can. It's already on Facebook. We out uh, selling the tickets and stuff now. Well, good. Put in the work. Not selling. All right, well, I love it. And I'm looking forward to meeting you, too. All right. We take pictures and all that stuff on Facebook. I love it. This is really cool. So much success and um, on your journey to learning more about the film industry and finding your place in it whether it's behind the camera or in front of the camera, and, you know, just get you more comfortable um, with your interviews and everything. And don't think that any role that you play is ever just a small part, okay? Yes, ma'am. You're right. All right. Well, you have a great day. Thank you for being on This Needs to be Said. All right. Thank you. You have a blessed evening, too. Thank you. Wow. We appreciate you. Two new people, the first interview, that's that's legendary. That's what I do. I, li- I like that. I like first interviews. I like that. <laughs> yes, and you just have you have a soothing spirit around you. More powerful, more power to your sister. Awesome. Well, thank you. I- I'm really looking forward to meeting each one of you and and viewing this film. Uh, one of the things that I love to do is support people living their dream, doing what they're passionate about, and independent um, music artists. That's the music I play on the show. Independent filmmakers. I love seeing your work, one, because I get to see it when it's raw. Um, I get to yeah. see um, before you try to clean it up, you know, or whatever, you know, before you go back sure. in. Because we are our own worst critics. You go back in and change something. 
So I've seen a lot of music yes. grow up that way too, um, changing the background or the lyrics or something like that. So getting an opportunity mm-hmm. to do first interviews and um, meet people who haven't, you know, I, I would say, you know, been poisoned by what is expected out there because they don't know. They're just being them, and I love that. I love that. Awesome. That gives us the authentic, you know, the authentic you and your work. So much success to you all, and I will see you all soon. Give your website before you go so people can connect with you and get tickets and tell more people about this project. Okay, what what they can do right now is go to our Facebook page. All of our information okay. is under there. It's under okay. uh, facebook.com backslash, and the name is Fame, F-A-M-E, space, DVD. All of our information is on there. Awesome. And I'll also post that on the fan page for TNTBS. So we'll have it in two places. Wow, you so they can find you at, Yes. They'll find you at Fame DVD on Facebook as well as on yes, TNTBS Talk Show. So we're going to make sure that they get connected with you. Looking forward to this wow, really being something you. that, um, you know, this is your first. So this is your first to your first full feature. And I, I, I want it to yes. be successful, so I'll do my part. Thank you. Thank you. God You're bless. Welcome. And we need more shows. You keep doing what you do, sister. Peace and blessings. Peace and blessings. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye now. All right, we are ready for our Talking Politics segment with Valerie Sun. And here we go. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Wonderful on this uh, this Monday uh, as we approach the uh, the yeah. end of uh, already. The time just flies by so Already? Much, um, I just already told you happy the end of January. Yes, I know. Yeah, it. Almost I ready. <laughs> here yeah. we are, what, the 26th? This is the last Monday in January. So time just seems to fly by so much. And I guess that's your adage. Time flies by when you're having fun. As you do, uh, you, yeah. make it more and more, you make it more and more difficult each week. You have me follow this good host. Um, <laughs> you're going to have to come behind and try to give us political news. So it's always uh, hard on me to come on at the end, but it's always a great thing because it, uh, I guess the last voice you hear is uh, things you maybe you can remember the most and some of the things that will be uh, kind of stoic. But, uh, again, it always is great to come each and every Monday and give you political news. Now, one thing I hope that most people have done, and I, a lot of people I've talked to about know that, and I hope that everyone, took the time to hear our president. Because, again, I think it's very significant whenever the president does uh, state the union. I don't know if we could have missed this time. Any kind of speech because uh, it's rare. Rare in the fact that you're only going to hear this at most about three times a year unless there's a need for him to come out more than You're only going to actually hear like a state of the union address. It's very rare. So it's not certainly not something that you hear every month or every three or four months. So whenever he comes out, I think everyone should kind of pay very close attention to what he's saying. Because, again, he is the leader of the free world or whatever he discusses, I think it's uh, essential that we listen here. But I do think it was a very informative uh, State of the Union address that he gave on last week, on last Tuesday, because he came at a lot of different areas, covered a lot of different things. Now, the president worked in the frame of his final years in office, was kind of how he presented things, knowing, as we all do, <clears throat> that his time is limited and that we will be having a new president going into 2016. So as he came and he uh, wanted to deliver, I guess, um, his, his opening speech, I don't want to always call it a delivering speech, but when he came out and uh, did his State of the Union, several things he did talk about. He talked about a national recovery from unpopular wars and deep recession and striving how to make the middle class left behind by an otherwise growing economy. Now, he drew a, 
kind of a broad portrait of a liberal economic program that would take billions from the wealthiest Americans and use it to finance a long list of programs for the working and middle class, which of course didn't seem to make everyone happy. Speaking for the first time to a Congress that is now entirely Republican-led, so it's, it's a great deficit when he speaks on uh, many different things that he brings up because he is speaking to a overwhelmingly Republican group. And, again, I like that, too. You and I being anywhere speaking to people that really oppose us. So it's kind of, I guess, if you were, have a certain religion and you're going to a church speaking to someone where they have a totally different belief or religion, that's kind of similar to what he's doing because you're speaking to people that are totally against a lot of things that you're speaking for. But nonetheless, he did do that because, of, uh, again, Republican-led, he suggested ways he could work with the House of Representatives and the Senate, including a tax form and a trade. He also worked to see for himself and presumably the, uh, whoever's going to be the 2016 Democrats, because now we don't really know who's running the banner of income inequality. He argued that while the U.S. economy is recovering and Wall Street is booming, the middle class still needs a boost, and he kind of reiterated this several times. His speech suggested a framework for the coming campaign for a new president, one where top Republicans already signal they plan to stress the fact that the middle class lost ground in the Obama years while offering conservative alternatives to kind of boost jobs and wages. Republicans who took control of both chambers in November on a platform that included vows to cut spending, have rejected many, if not almost all, of President Obama's proposals before he even began speaking. Now, the president did call for $320 billion in tax increases over the next 10 years, including fees on certain Wall Street firms, eliminating trust fund loopholes. The White House says I've allowed the super-rich to pass on estate tax free and raising the top tax on investment gains for the wealthy, something that we've seen has happened for many years. The White House argued that 99% of the effect of the tax proposals would be on the top 1% in the country. And that kind of is a catchphrase used to describe the very wealthy, because that's, you know, really could have come out and said it that way. Um, in return, the president proposed using the new tax revenues to make two years of community college free for students, which is something we talked about before. He wants to triple the child care tax credit to $3,000 per child, increasing the minimum wage, providing workers with paid leave, and creating a second earner tax credit of up to $500 for families, meaning that you would now be able to earn more money as a second worker in a home, especially when there's a household with uh, children in it. Again, the main thing for that is a tax credit of now $2,000 per child. And, again, I can't stress enough the importance, I think, the great suggestion he has of making uh, two community colleges free for all students that are enticed to go. That I think will get a great number of people back when that happens. Now, the economy is now strong enough, he argued, that it needs to invest in the middle class. So you can answer critics who know that the middle class wages have remained stagnant on his watch, even as the overall economy has grown. There's certainly no denying that. At every moment of economic change throughout our history, this country has taken bold action to attempt new circumstances and to make everyone get a fair shot with a direct quote from the president. Now, his fair shot included renewing a call for free preschool for every four-year-old to be paid for by increasing tobacco taxes. Many of us know now who have small children, uh, that does not, is not the case now. Preschool is very expensive for many people. So now you're looking at yeah. providing free preschool for four-year-olds. He also called on Congress to pass the Healthy Families Act, which would allow working Americans to earn up to seven days a year of paid sick time. He said the budget would call for $2 billion in new money to encourage states to develop paid family and medical leave programs. He also called for tax relief for small businesses that begin retirement plans for their employees. Now, though he used the speech to formally ask Congress to authorize the use of force against the Islamic State, he stressed 
that the U.S. is not considering ground troops, and this is going back to, to Yemen and anything they're going to do there. Now, Obama, uh, President Obama, also followed on his historic decision last month to normalize ties with Cuba by calling on Congress to lift the Economic Embargo Act against the island itself. So he did get into, I guess, what you call official business while he stood there. But many of the things seem to be about a progressive move and about bringing in, uh, implementing some changes that he could get in prior to him leaving. But, again, many of these things are sound very good to you and I, but the problem is going to be getting passed by Congress, especially Congress those that by, minutes, by the time many of these things come to fruition, the president will be on his way out the door. So they'll be able to get a, hopefully, in their mind, a Republican uh, president who will seek the same things they seek and will have the same views and the ideas that they have. And then many of these things will then be labeled mute because they've already said that they are against any further funding or taxes, or taxation, as it's called, which is raising taxes, anything that will go towards these plans that the president has. So he certainly fights a difficult battle, as any president would. Um, many people want to say different reasons why this particular president goes through it, but I do believe that anyone who stood in that situation, if it was a Republican talking to a predominantly Democratic House, he would have some of the same issues. They just simply don't see, see eye to eye. And as a result, many of the things the president has opposed, <coughs> excuse me, he has to go through those situations. But there's no other answer but to put it out and let you know this is what my plan is, this is how we can pay for it, this is how we can do it. But unfortunately, he needs approval. So many people have asked me uh, this year and over the years, why can't the president just kind of do what he wants to do? And that's far from the way that it works. He is a leader, but there's lots of reasons that one person can't make those kinds of decisions. And that happens in most corporate uh, situations. Now, only some of the people that uh, we think will be uh, running on the Republican side, because, again, no Democrat has really stepped up and said they're definitely running. We've heard different things, of course, about uh, Hillary Clinton, but we haven't heard any definitive people come out and say they're actually running. But what we do know is that early voting in Iowa um, is going to play a key role, as it always does, in who our next president is. As a result of that, many in Iowa came out yesterday to kind of hear several different Republican candidates come out and speak on different topics, but mainly on their view to robust Christians they were speaking to in the Boys, Iowa. Now, some of the people that were there, you saw Governor Chris Christie of New Jersey. You saw Scott Walker, who was also governor of Wisconsin. You saw former Governor Rick Perry of Texas and Mike Huckabee of Arkansas. We saw Senator Ted Cruz of Texas and many others who came for a freedom forum to make that kind of unofficial launch of the next campaign against the Iowa caucuses. More than 1,000 religious conservatives were kind of in the theater to hear these individuals speak. Now, we also heard from Rick Sostrom, the former senator of Pennsylvania, who won the 2012 Iowa caucus and said the GOP needs to do a better job of convincing working Americans the Republicans are on their side. Um, another person that we heard there, or several other people, was uh, Carly Fiora, who is a uh, business person who I see hosted the forum from Iowa, who certainly has been involved with several of the candidates as far as getting information out. And that's another name we've heard. We, of course, have talked about Dr. Ben Carson here on the show. Dr. Ben Carson was in attendance on yesterday, former vice presidential nominee Sarah Palin real estate mongol and reality, uh, reality TV star, that's how we call it now, Donald Trump, who for the last three elections now has come out and spoken all these events, or many of these events. Mm-hmm. Now, the only people missing were the two possible candidates, which were Governor Jeb Bush and Massachusetts Governor Mitt Romney. Now, we all know Mitt Romney uh, has kind of been going back and forth to whether or not he's going to run, despite the success he had in the last election. But um, he was mm-hmm. not there again with Governor Jeb Bush, who was... You know, he is a Bush, after all. So Governor Jeff Bush certainly is going to be a uh, 
one of the leading candidates. Now, Donald Trump kind of the funny thing spoke about both the people that were not there. He basically said if Republicans really want to put their faith behind me, run it, they can have it. He also joked that the last thing we need is another Bush, and he was kind of glad that uh, Jeb Bush was not in attendance. Now, in addition to those two also absent from the lineup, we had Rand Paul of Kentucky, who, of course, we know Rand previously, and Marco Rubio of Florida, who's a very up-and-coming presidential candidate who many people think, uh, if not this time, next time, will be a very, very strong and viable candidate for the presidency. So imagine all those people in um you and I have done this show long enough that we're going to go through this segment again where there's all these people that are going to put their name in the hat there and they want to run for president. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see it get narrowed down and narrowed down and narrowed down to we finally come down to these two Republican candidates and then they're going to side from there. But these are just some of the names, some of the high-power names that have uh, come out and spoken. While many of them have not formally said they're going to run, they don't make the trip to Iowa just because they like hanging out in Moore's Iowa. So certainly they've come in and let people know that this uh they are involved, they're out there, and, you know, getting their names into the circuit. So we'll see how that goes. But that is many people uh, out there again. And it does appear, as it does many times, that we do have an African-American candidate, that being Dr. Ben Carson. Certainly has his name in. Now, a few things here locally that uh, we want to get into and make sure that you know. One is that City Council member Michael Barnes announced on his Facebook page on last Wednesday night, then after that, hey, they kind of get on, the, on different sites and different things I read, where he has formally announced he is running for mayor. Now, Mr. Barnes has been an at-large member since 2013. Uh, put his name in again this fall. Now, apparently he's going to join at-large member David Howard, former, who was a friend of the show, former county commissioner Jennifer Roberts, who was already announced. Current mayor Diane Cotterfeller has given a strong indication he wants to run for mayor again, and I can assure you here today, Mr. Cotterfeller is going to run for mayor again. Now, in his post, Barnes said he wants to work on issues such as economic development, citing companies such as Electric Lux and Met Life that came to the city after Barnes and other city council members approved incentives. He pointed to an infrastructure improvement such as sidewalks and light rail and the increase of the number of police officers. Now, it's important to know that Barnes was first elected to council back in 2005, who represented District 4 in Northeast Charlotte. Now, this November election could actually bring in the city's fifth mayor since 2013, which is kind of you know, very unique and rare for that short period of time. But we, of course, know Anthony Fox stepped down to go to Washington, D.C., be the U.S. Secretary of Transportation. Patrick Kennedy sent in that position until um, his term was out, and then she went back to her seat on District 1. Uh, we know Patrick Cannon was in, and then we know Mr. Crossfeller is in right now, so that's four. So, again, if anyone other than Mr. Crossfeller wins, you'll be looking at your fifth mayor since 2013, mm-hmm. which is, again, a very wow. um, unique situation. It's probably won't ever happen again if that meeting coming in that short period of time. One key thing that's going to take place tonight with the city council is the city council is expected to decide whether to spend $7 million with the Taser Company over five years to buy and operate 1,400 body cameras uh, for Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police. Now, they've told city council in early December that it wants to buy Exxon Flex body cameras, which is manufactured out in Arizona. The department said the five camera manufacturers submitted a proposal to the city that the CMD has still tested two types of cameras. They also told council members an overview of how the cameras will work, where the cameras will be recording and our images will be saved. CMPD has had video cameras inside patrol cars since about 1997. It purchased body cameras for its motorcycle units in 2012 and added another 26 officers last year. Now, this person will put a camera on each officer, creating a massive amount of recording between police and citizens which many people believe is, is vital and important. Now, the policy would be for cameras to record all traffic stops 
any instances when an officer stops and frisks someone, uses a force, search of property or people, and any time a citizen requests it. So basically you can request it, the officer turn the camera off. In some instances, the cameras will start recording automatically. When officers turn on their blue lights on the patrol car, the cameras will begin recording. They would also begin recording when an officer activates a taser. Now, the cameras will always be capturing images, though not actually recording all of it. When an officer starts recording, the previous 30 seconds will also be stored. So that is certainly something that will be uh, significant. And on that same note, uh, the video generally will not be available to the public. Now, the city is seeking an exemption from the General Assembly to allow for citizens to view camera footage if they've made a complaint against an officer. Now, most of this money will come from the city's capital reserves, so it's not supposed to be an increase in taxes when, in fact, this um, when in fact this takes place, if, in fact, the city council does approve it. If everything we've been hearing and seeing, I can't imagine that not being the case and not being in an overall overhaul and allowing the police officer to wear this, these body cameras again, it's pretty simple and pretty plain as to why we feel this is significant. And many cities are already in effect using these. So it's just something that seems is going to trickle down. One story that I saw on last week and that I thought was important for many people, not only in the state of California, but here in North Carolina as well as other states, was that many California prisoners often don't know that they can vote. There's been a study done in California where um, it was released last week by the Green Lighting Institute, which is a nonprofit group that advocates for racial and economic equality. They found that formerly incarcerated Californians often are unaware of their voting eligibility, and they wrongly believe they have to go through a special process to get back their voting rights. Current policies intended to inform former inmates of their rights may not be effective, according to the report. Now, of the 21 former inmates interviewed for a report, 60% have been confused at some point about their eligibility to vote due to their criminal conviction, according to this study. But there were two different counties that had a diverse pool of people. So we think it's indicative of a larger trend across the country because you have a small area there where you only had a few people and they were very confused about their right to vote. And it states that none of them were active voters, but it's different reasons why they didn't think they could vote. California, like many states, doesn't allow current inmates or parolees to vote or places no restriction on voting rights for residents once they finish serving their term. Some former inmates told the study authors they believed they needed to take complicated measures to register to vote. They said they were unaware that California only requires them to fill out a general voter registration form, the same thing you and I fill out when we vote. When former yeah. inmates don't vote, they missed the opportunity to change the correctional system's failings. Now, California actually passed a major sentencing reform in the last few years, including in 2014, they had Proposition 47, which actually changed the um, right for search and seizure, and it also enabled less evidence to actually be brought forth for a case to be presented on several of the things that many of the people were actually being stopped for. Also, in Bill 149, which was passed in 2013, it requires California probation officers to post a link to the Secretary of State Voting Rights Guide for incarcerated people on their department website or to post a notice on the web addressing that for voting guide probation office. The law has fallen short of goals to better inform former inmates of their rights. The report including, again, this stuff has already been passed. The research also suggested the state become more effective in disseminating voting rights information, possibly by providing voter education workshops, informing inmates of their rights when they're finishing up their sentences, or automatically mailing them voter registration cards, which would seem to be something pretty simple to do. You mail the card to their last address, and they at least would have a card in their hand. And, again, you educate them, I would imagine, six months, three months prior to them leaving on voter registration, which I'm sure there's 
thousands of volunteers to be glad to come in and speak with them on that. Now, a spokesperson for the California Department of Corrections actually said that when offenders leave the facility, they are given a certificate of discharge that tells them they're allowed to vote and provide information on how to register. But, of course, when someone's being released, I don't even know if they realize anything's in their hand. They're probably very excited and they're back out, and I don't even know if they take the time to look at what's in there. So certainly more seems as if it has to be done in the state of California to allow people to know they can vote. But the reason I thought that was important, because I'm sure that happens here in North Carolina as well as many other states, is that people believe once they become a felon that they've lost their right to vote because they can't vote while they're in there. And that's far from the case. Many laws have changed in the last 10 years and make it even easier for someone convicted of a felony to come out and be allowed to do other different things and really in, in general in the legal system, but certainly people going in on smaller crimes. There's already things being done now to get people to vote as well as people that are waiting on their sentences. So they're technically still free, still unconvicted, where they also are allowed to vote. So it's something I guess that needs exactly. to be done more. I can see how that would be confusing. I yes. can see how that would be confusing. I'm thinking about that, but, yeah, mm-hmm. I can see how that and would be confusing. And you've got potential Yeah, and remember, these are potential voters. I mean, you're talking about a great number when you're talking about you know, all 50 states, the number of people that are being released and coming in, and let's say you do three years, you do five years, and you come out and some of the things have changed. And remember, you want to make voting easier, not more difficult, because typically when people have to go through any kind of hassle, they just don't vote. That's typically what happens. Yeah. You've got a, a great uh, number of people that are not voting as a result of not knowing what the laws are, and I guess they don't want to come down and have their face out too often. They kind of just want to lay back and, you know, stay out of the line, like just go on with their life. They don't want to have to go down and do anything that, kind of attracts attention to it, but if they knew how easy it was and the significance of it, you know, you are going to get them all to vote, but if you just get, you know, 5% of those that don't know, that's a great number of people in each state that will come out and, and, and vote and see how that turns out. But it is certainly something that I guess uh, more and more people need to look into and we need to invest more time and energy in letting people know yeah. that I think many of them will be receptive. Come on. And again, if we just get 5% of them, 3% of them, that's a pretty good number. Yeah. And one other thing here that uh, – um, I thought was being was, was taking place was that the uh, House Republicans have been faced with a mounting opposition of their own members. They pulled a bill that would have banned abortions after 20 weeks of pregnancy, and instead Thursday passed less restrictive legislation to prohibit federal funding for abortions. The vote was actually 242 to 179, and of course, most times it was along party lines, with one Republican voting no and three Democrats voting yes. Basically, it would have made um, it would make the permanent so-called Hyde Amendment that we've talked about here before, a provision that is added to legislation each year to prevent federal funding for abortions. And while the House is considering the bill on Thursday, the White House promised they would veto the measure should it reach President Obama's desk. Thursday's vote was timed to coincide with the 42nd anniversary of the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade decision that legalized abortion. So hard to believe that 42 years ago. But Republicans have planned to take up far more restrictive bill. It's being sponsored by Republican Trent Franks, out of Arizona. Late Wednesday, House GOP leaders changed course and withdrew the measure because of objections from numerous Republicans, many of whom were women, who objected that the legislation was too restrictive and would turn off voters. So many things go to vote. Now, again, Frank's bill would ban abortion after 20 weeks of pregnancy, except to save the life of a woman in cases of rape or incest of a minor if they were reported to police. So that is pretty significant, and I think any time something goes to the Supreme Court, it is significant but certainly when it affects that many people and goes that far. And finally, the Supreme Court also 
is uh, right now having something that's going to change many, many lives of a lot of people that are already inmates. They're going to look at changing lethal injections, and they're going to review whether or not lethal injections are considered cruel and unusual punishment. The justice agreed on Friday to consider a case originally brought forth by four death row inmates in Oklahoma, one of whom was put to death last week after the court refused to block his execution with a combination of three drugs that has caused some prisoners to wear their pain. Now, the problem is that when it's injected them, it doesn't immediately kill the individual. They have cases where people have sat in pain for 20 to as much as 45 minutes when they thought they would die instantly as a result of what had been put into the actual lethal injection itself. So as a result of that, they're looking at whether or not this is even something that can legally or should legally be done, the lethal injection, which, of course, would take away an option for many of those that are choosing to, well, not choosing to, many of the states that are choosing to still enhance the death penalty and choosing to still use the death penalty as a means of punishment. Now, the court for liberal justices, Ruth, uh, Ruth Ginsburg, St- uh, Stephen Byer, Sonia Sotomayor, and um, Elena Kagan, was deep concerned about the protocol and exactly how this takes place and the reason that they are, uh, the inmates aren't actually dying faster because, again, the goal is to give them a lethal injection and then they basically die after that. No one there saying just sit 20 minutes going through all the things you go through prior to dying. Now, the number of uh, executions in the USA peaked in 99 at 98. In 1999, there were 98. Then it dropped to about 35 last year, according to death penalty information centers. So far this year, four prisoners have been executed. Now, although the death penalty remains on the books in 36 states, a half a dozen of them account for nearly all of the recent executions in the United States. Now, almost the majority of them have been in Texas, Florida, Oklahoma, Missouri, Arizona, and Ohio. So those are things that are uh, taking place that are just major, uh, have major implications on so many people. Now, it made the justice block the execution of Missouri murderer because of a special medical condition that made it likely he would suffer from conjured from the lethal injection. And last month, they ruled 5-4 that Florida must apply a margin of error to IQ tests, making it harder for states to execute those who borderline with intellectual disabilities. And in October, the court stopped the execution of another Missouri man from concerns that the lawyers were ineffective and they missed a deadline for an appeal. These kind of things typically had just gone on and people had been executed. So to see the Supreme Court review that certainly is something that I think is uh, of great significance because, again, so many people are involved in there. Not saying they won't still execute in those states, but you're looking at doing it other than lethal injection. Now, those are some of the key things, I thought, that have happened here just in the last week. We can add there are several other things we'll get into uh, as we go into our new month of February. But um, those, again, were some of the main things that have just taken place. And um, as I say each and every week, you'll be amazed at some of the things you see and hear politically just simply by watching the news, the first five minutes of the news. I don't think there's any newscast you can watch, uh, whether it be something national or something local, where there's not uh, something taking place politically in doing that. Same thing applies for those who still get the newspaper and print, but as well as reading it online. Any front page you're going to go to, there's going to be something political. Each paper has a political section. Some of them bite-sized uh, political sections where they cover many things locally and nationally that affect so many people. So that's always my challenge, to have you watch the first five minutes of the news or read your local newspaper or, again, read a national newspaper such as USA Today, New York Times, and you'll see so many things about the politics that are taking place that we could go on for an hour talking about it. And... Um, when you have those things, when you watch and you've seen things and um, you're, you're inquiring about them or something you're not sure of or something you just want to hear discussed or hear uh, more information about, 
The easiest way to do so and to contact me is going to Facebook. Once you log on to Facebook, you go to Valerie Sun, B-A-L-E-R-I-E-S-O-N, and go into Valerie Sun, you will see the link to Talking Politics. And as so many people have already done, you uh, then can write me directly. You can, however you choose to reach me that way, you can write me through the round Talking Politics as well as writing on my page itself. Uh, people have done both. And just inquiring about anything you want to know, anything that uh, is politics or is political, then we certainly will try to get information back to you and make you as informed as we can. Because, again, an informed voter is what we're always seeking to have. When you're informed, you can inform others. You get excited about voting. You want others to go vote and just kind of trip it down, hopefully, to the next generation. Also, you can go on the app. By now, everyone should have this app on their phone. Surely everyone I'm talking to now has this app. But it's my favorite app on my phone, the one I go to the most. You go to This Needs to Be Said. You see the blue elephant once you download it. And it gives you an opportunity not only to listen to this segment of the um, show for the week, but all the other guests that come on and have so many uh, topics that they cover, such as the rare topics that go from so many things beyond the reach of politics. We cover so many things here. But this gives you uh, great um, conversation pieces, as we call Because certainly as I listen to media commentators, they make you think, they make you kind of uh, delve into some of the things that you've already thought about and just have a general conversation with people. Several things I've heard on here have gotten me to, you know, in-depth conversation with people just based on topics I've heard here. So it's a great app to have on your phone, and, again, you're able to go back and listen to the show. And then perhaps that would encourage you to even more so write something on uh, the Talk About Technique or write it on This Needs to Be Seen and certainly something that we would address. So, again, those are things that should be taking place, and I know people are already doing it, and we certainly appreciate that. When you are watching the news, when you are writing on Talk of Politics, and when you are going to the app for This Needs to Be Said. So I know that's taking place each and every week. And, again, it's always a privilege of mine and an excitement for me to be able to come on each Monday and give you political news. And I'm always learning something. <laughs> it's, it's so much that's happening. Now, I got a question for you because TV, I've been telling the audience that TV is on the horizon for us and we want them to be a part of it. How in the world, cause, and let me throw out another tip, hint, clue, that we're going to have a weekly show, but how do we, how can we do something with politics that, that is, um, I, I don't know how we're going to do politics because that's always moving around, it's always updating, and I, I just, I need to know how we're going to move from radio, well, we'll still be on radio, but how do we move from here to television? Because there's so much, like politics moves around so much. Right. That's not the truth. We do so many things. I mean, right? I mean we, we could go. You know, I'm going to do a daily segment. There's always stuff happening in politics. So that, that's true. Um, and then there will be a difficult thing because some of them will, you know, there will be um, time sensitive by the time they see it. So that certainly yeah, is true. Yeah. And that is kind of an obstacle that, that, that you face when things are coming that way. Yeah. But we are, we certainly have got to get back on TV. So we're going to have to kind of brainstorm and see exactly how we're going to come up with a plan. Yeah. To, uh, yeah, you, to yeah, you solved that. <laughs> Yeah, let's see how we can come up with that. Because I, I think about that every single week as things are moving around so much. I'm like, how are we going to put that on TV unless we're like on TV every day? Now, ultimately, that would be the goal. We won't want you to ever miss any of us. But in a weekly show, we have a tall order to fill with that. So something for you to right. think about. And as the listeners, if y'all have some suggestions, we are open to it because this show is your show. And we want to make sure that we are airing information that you're tuning into and that you're telling other people to tune into. So as we're moving to a weekly show on television, um, and it won't be public access, I did tell you guys that hint too, 
um, we're thinking of how to keep things relevant, fresh, and make it even better as we add the visual part of it to the television show. So, yes, Valerie's son, you have a task before you. Because I don't know how you're going to do it, but I'm sure you're I amazing. I don't know. I'll try. I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to close the show out with our daily dose of weird news. And then we're going to wrap it up for this Monday. So thank you, and we'll see you back here on next Monday, all right? Okay, absolutely. Thank you. I'm Darren Marlar, and this is your Daily Dose of Weird News. Police in Manchester, England, released a photo of some funny money passed at a bar. The 20-pound note was accepted by a bartender, even though it was made of stapled photocopies of the front and back of a real bill. The bartender figured, hey, you know what, it's only fair, seeing as he'd been watering down drinks to make them counterfeit for the past 12 years. Scientists have moved the hand of the symbolic doomsday clock two minutes closer to midnight. They cite unchecked climate change and the threat of nuclear weapons. The doomsday clock was created in 1947 by scientists who had helped develop the first nuclear weapons in the Manhattan Project. Currently set at three minutes to midnight, it's the closest to midnight the clock has been since 1984 during the Cold War. The closest it has ever been to midnight, two minutes, was in 1953 when the hydrogen bomb was first tested. Fortunately, even though we're three minutes to midnight, that's actually three minutes to 11 central time, so we're good. A man in Northern California was rummaging through a trash bin in search of his wallet when the trash truck emptied the bin and hauled the man to the landfill. Cue the Better Off Dead reference in three, two, one. Man, that's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. Scientists report that they have discovered yet another Earth-like planet, this one being the most like Earth ever found. One key difference is that a year there is only 35 days, which means that on that planet, celebrities actually get to celebrate their 50th wedding anniversaries. Fox TV confirmed rumors over the weekend that the network is interested in reviving the hit science fiction drama The X-Files. The series, which starred David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson as a pair of paranormal investigators, ran for nine seasons from 1993 to 2002. Mystery number one to be solved, Mulder, Scully, where you guys been? It's been your turn to bring the donuts for 12 years now. A smoker in Singapore has been fined $15,000 for throwing cigarette butts out of his apartment window. The 38-year-old smoker, who was caught on surveillance camera, was fined $600 per cigarette for the first 33 offenses and ordered to do community service for the 34th, all committed within four days. Yeah, sorry about that uh, community service, dude, but it sounds like you're going to be dead before your check clears for the fine. Super Bowl 49 is less than a week away. You know, the Super Bowl numbering system, it's getting a little too pornographic for me. I mean, Super Bowl 49 is, well, the 49 is X-L-I-X. X-Licks. Sounds like a socially inappropriate tongue greeting, doesn't it? X-Licks. And you know we're only one letter away from X-Lacks, which is only desirable if a toilet is nearby. That's your daily dose of weird news. I'm Darren Marlar. You can get more weird news anytime, anywhere at dailydoseofweirdnews.com. While you're there, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, download the Daily Dose of Weird News app. Also, you can get involved with our new weekly caption contest. The best caption is going to win a mention on the Daily Dose of Weird News. 
I'll choose a new winner every week, and if you're that winner, I'll mention your YouTube channel, your Facebook page, or your Twitter profile. So caption the photo, and also subscribe to my YouTube channel, and you might be my next winner. Do it all at DailyDoseOfWeirdNews.com. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you've gained something from what has been shared. Special thanks to the creators of the TNTBS jingle. It was written by Lamont Champ Josie and composed by Robert Jenkins. Thank you to everyone who supports us by downloading the phone app at thisneedstobesaid.com, by commenting on the TNTBS talk show fan page on Facebook, by retweeting us on Twitter at TNTBS, by also sharing this show with your friends. Thank you for logging in through your computer, as well as calling in to listen on the phone lines. Now go out and tell more people about this great show. If you thought the show sucked, tell them anyway. Bad news travels fast is what I'm told. Either way, tell them to tune in each weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're always looking for new guest commentators, awesome topics, and most of all, we want your opinion. Visit us at www.thisneedstobesaid.com. We'd love to hear from you. There's an elephant in the room. You were thinking it, so we're going to talk about it. Until we meet again in the same place at the same time, have a super day.